0: Mr. Squidward, welcome to the night shift.
1: And good Sunday evening, everybody, and welcome in to yet another live edition of the MI6 Sports Network's Late night sports talk show that, of course, folks, is the night shift on this Sunday, 7-11, June 11th, 2021, alongside uh, the main guy here on the MI6 Sports Network for late night programming, our good guy, Isaiah Leung from the Garage Studios up there in Fremont, California. Yours truly, Kyle McClure, joining you folks here from the home studios here in San Diego. Isaiah, I have spent at least, I want to say, three days of this previous week in the baking sun here in Southern California doing a lot of baseball announcing over the past uh, three, uh, at least three days of this week, Tuesday and Wednesday, doing uh, two separate high school baseball showcases for high school kids, and then uh, yesterday, three Little League Championship games yesterday. Uh, and then the Pottery game today as a spectator, I think I am already burnt to a crisp before I even go to Florida in a couple of weeks. But of course, Isaac, great to have you. Boardman, how are we doing? The night? Good to see you.
0: Callan, it's great to have you back, man. Um, you know... Today, a you know you, how you said that San Diego was like really hot. Well, it's really hot in the Bay Area as well. I think like California, I think overall we might be going through like a heat wave or something like that because right now yesterday it was like 97 degrees I know up in San Francisco, it got like to 90, which you rarely see in San Francisco because it's by the Bay. So uh, it's really astonishing how hot it's been in the Bay Area. I think tomorrow we might be hitting 100. So um, it was, you know, it's been really hot the last couple of days. Uh, I'm so glad that today it's 7-11. It's 7 elevens birthday. So I went over to my nearby 7-11, treated myself to a free slurpery or free slurpery. Slurpee, you know they have that there at Seven Eleven, so that was you know very refreshing and very helpful to help cool down from this heat. But uh, you know it was a pretty good day for me. Um, you know the Phillies won somehow, some way. I didn't, I don't know how they won. Uh, it was a bullpen game for the Phillies today. And if you had told me that the Phillies would beat the best one of the best teams in all of baseball the Boston Red Sox in the final game before the all-star break via a bullpen game I would have said uh, yeah you got to be drug tested immediately and then the A's they won I'm so pissed off at the New York Yankees because they because they had they had a seven to two lead and I, I was you know ranting in the group I was like oh yeah you know the A's won the Phillies won the Mets lost and now the Yankees are about to help my A's out by beating the Astros. We're about to go to two and a half games back uh, of the Astros as we enter the all-star brick. And those damn Yankees just cannot save a lead to save their life. And they blow a 7-2 to two lead to those Houston Astros. And now my A's are just 3 And a half games back of those Yankees could have been two and a half back. Only now we're three and a half games back. So I'm kind of pissed off at that. But other than that, it was a great weekend. Got to shout out my guy, Dustin Poirier. The goat shirt is back and he is on the goat shirt. Not Brock Purdy for this this week. I got to give him a shout out because he won me some big money yesterday. And I am a very, very rich and happy man today.
1: Uh, by the way, folks, with Isaiah bringing up, or we, or both of us bringing up 7-Eleven, I have a very cool trivia question. I want you guys to chew on about the course of, of the show tonight. That question is, why is it called 7-Eleven, the actual store? Chew on that. I'll have the answer for you a bit later on in the program, but think about that. Why do you think, or why is... 7-Eleven stores called 7-Eleven. You can even drop your answer, guys, in the chat box. Of course, folks, the MI6 Sports Network's late-night sports talk show, The Night Shift, coming away every Saturday and Sunday, even though we've been kind of, again, trying to readjust our schedules. Here's, we have, as we have said, folks, we'll have more about that later on, though, with some, uh, with some very uh, pretty cool announcements coming uh, your way. But, of course, folks, give us your thoughts on the sports world. Again, questions, comments, concerns, drop them all in the live chat box. We'll do our absolute best, as usual, to read those, uh, to read those comments live on the air and do our best to in fact uh, be able to uh, hear your voices on this Sunday plenty of thoughts already Isaiah from our good man Casey King saying hello guys and good evening and uh, good to have you guys back again case we kind of apologize uh, man but again we've been having a lot of uh you know just moving pu- you know moving parts right now again I've been kind of diving back into some offseason work uh, doing some you know high school baseball little League baseball some of the things like that it's kind of stay same before I in fact go to Florida in just about uh, roughly two-plus weeks. And uh, Casey says, Isaiah, come out to Arizona, man. The Bay Area is nothing compared to the weather out here. And James also says, hello to everybody. And also, Casey said, it's been great to be back out attending sporting events again and also traveling. I definitely agree for sure. And again, heading out to Florida for vacay in just over two weeks. With that, Isaiah, to the main game of the night, Game 3, NBA Finals, Phoenix and Milwaukee from Pfizer form in the 4-1-4, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And much like the first two games, Isaiah, it is home court uh, defended by the home side as the Bucs win the night 120-100 over Phoenix tonight from Pfizer form as Giannis kumpo as Giannis again, man. Explodes for another 40-plus point performance in the, in the Bucs. Do defend home court to now chop that leader in half. It's now 2-1 Suns. Going into game number four coming up on Tuesday at Pfizer Forum. So Isaiah, we don't get the Suns in four at this rate, though. But certainly, though, man, I do think, though, that I think we all expected to see the, you know, to see home court defended either in game three or in game four. But certainly for the Bucs, though, game three, I felt like was their make or break or, you know, live and die game. If they didn't win this game, I felt like it was going to be over in four because I think that the Suns have just come out and kind of in a way. Taken it to the box in games one and game two, though. But Isaiah, as we have talked about, though, man, and as I have gone back and listened to other pro uh, to old programs or you know watch some of our programming to look at what we can improve on, what I can improve on at least this is like some film sessions, man. Is something I brought brought up though with the Brooklyn Nets was that when teams are hitting every single shot, you know, as was the case in game two, uh, game two, where I think I heard a stat that the Suns had hit twenty three pointers, they were shooting fifty percent from behind the arc, and as I said about maybe that part, but more so about teams, though, who just hit every shot, you can't keep that pace going for a full, you know, two games in a row, you may maybe get lucky there, but not three, not four games in a row, and shots will not fall at a premium, and certainly that with the Suns of the day, this was probably a game, though, much like, in you know, Isaiah, I thought thought about this today thinking about a documentary or a top 10 list done by Kobe Bryant on Spectrum Sportsnet here in Southern California. When Kobe talked about the first finals that he went to and they won over Indiana, when he had sprained his ankle and he was trying to come back for game uh, three in uh, Indianapolis, Phil told him, Yeah, take the night off, you'll be okay. And Kobe literally thought that Phil Jackson, the Zen master himself, was crazy to not, to not play him because of his ankle injury. But he said, you know what? It might be a good idea to lose one. And so they end up losing that one. But, of course, what they did, they came out of one game four, one game five, and ended up winning the title that year versus the Pacers. But certainly, Isaiah. I do think, though, that we probably expected Milwaukee to at least grab a game at home. Again, that fan base in Milwaukee, much like the Suns, though, living and dying with the Bucks and the Suns and trying to see this team get over that plateau again. Also, and by the way, the first finals game held in Milwaukee since 1974, when I believe the Bucks were still playing, at the Mecca, the Milwaukee Entertainment uh, or the uh, Milwaukee Entertainment um, Center and in, um, in, uh in Auditorium and Arena, if I think I even got that name right. But certainly, Isaiah, a great game though I think for Milwaukee. I think just to at least kind of get the you know pulse right back up. But certainly though, uh, Giannis, uh, Giannis, I think though Isaiah, he may not win funnels MVP man, but certainly he's I think getting his name out there very well so far. More so with this game, I think than maybe games one and game two though. But Isaiah, your thoughts more so. On the uh, Suns and Bucks in Milwaukee, uh, getting at least one game so far, and now cutting that lead in half to two games to one for the Phoenix Suns going into Game Four coming up later this week.
0: Callen, we have a series, man. We officially have a series after the first two games. You didn't know if you know we we would have a series because the Phoenix Suns I thought had been the better team in the first two games. Game one, they looked really good Chris Paul, Devin Booker. They were outstanding. Um, And then game two as well, you know, it wasn't just Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but it was also the rest of the team that chipped in, in game two and Milwaukee. They, they looked like they didn't know what hit them. I thought that that was, I thought that was what happened in Game 2 and also in the first two games of the series. So I was telling, you know, Stephen Wang and everybody else in the MI6 group chat that Milwaukee has got to respond in this Game 3 or it's going to be over. And I think, like you said, Callum, this was a make or break for the Milwaukee Bucks. This was the game of the season for the Milwaukee Bucks because if they had lost this game, they would have gone down uh o three and you know the stat like I do. nobody in n b a history has ever come back from a three o deficit and gone on to win the n b a finals, so they had to win this game, and you know the bucks they played like this was their game seven, they played like that. Their, their backs was against the wall and that they absolutely had to have this game. Giannis Tentacumpo, he came out on a mission, 41 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. He was outstanding in this game on offense and defense. And then you look at Chris Middleton, 18 points, uh, 6 assists, 7 rebounds. He chipped in with a great game. Drew Holiday finally showed up and chipped in with 21 points and 9 assists. Um, and five rebounds in this basketball game. And then you had Brooke Lopez with 11 points and Bobby Portis off the bench with 11 points as well. But it was the big three showing up for the first time in this series. I'm talking about Giannis, uh, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. They finally showed up. And if the Milwaukee Bucks want to win this series or even have any chance of winning this series, the big three, they've got to play like this every single night for the bucks to have a chance to win this series because Phoenix right now with Booker with Chris Paul and the rest of the team, they just look like they have too much firepower for uh, the Milwaukee bucks to handle. So the big three, they got to play up to how they did tonight. If the Milwaukee bucks want to have any chance in this series, the rest of the way. And, you know, on Phoenix's side, like I told Steven Uh, via text earlier, this was kind of like a throwaway game for the Phoenix Suns. You know, you could see from, yeah, from tip off on that the Phoenix Suns just played like they didn't, they just played like You know, they didn't have any urgency. Uh, They played like it was kind of like a preseason game. It was okay to lose this game because they had a commanding 2-0 lead in this series. And, you know, Chris Paul, he had 19 points, nine assists. But, you know, he wasn't really effective. Those were hard earned points from Chris Paul. Uh, Devin Booker struggled mightily in this game, 10 points. Uh six rebounds in 29 minutes of play. I think you also gotta give credit to PJ Tucker's defense and it really showed how great of a defender that PJ Tucker really is. You know, every time this guy gets matched up on whoever offensive star that he gets matched up on, he shuts him down. He got matched up on Devin Booker for majority of this game, and Devin Booker struggled in this ball game with just 10 points, uh, with really inefficient shooting. So um the Phoenix Suns, I think they'll be fine. I think Game Four, they'll come out after having been punched in the mouth. Uh, they'll come out playing with more urgency, playing like they actually care that to to win that ball game. And I think Devin Booker, you know, ten points. He's not going to shoot that inefficient uh, in games four or even in games five the rest of the way. So I think that this was just a throwaway game. I think the uh, the Suns, they're in a good position. I think they'll bounce back and they'll be uh, they'll be all okay. Uh, as we go forward.
1: I do agree that the Suns, I think, as you to your point, though, that they have just a bit more firepower on their roster again with, uh, you know, with Aiton, uh, Cameron Payne, you know, Cam Johnson, uh, Jay Crowder being a part of that. Plus, of course, the, you know, that core of Booker along with Chris Paulett. They certainly, I think, though, do in fact have, you know, maybe just a little bit more on their roster. Plus, I think, though, as well, the one thing, though, I think, as if it's not been talked about, though, in this final series has been, the health of both ball clubs, minus uh, you know Chris Paul having his uh, issues with uh, with COVID, but Giannis having that hyper extended extended knee, that's what I think though. Kind of in a way favors the Suns though, is that for the most part of this postseason, Isaiah, both teams have been healthy. But the one injury that does in fact happen in in this you know series goes to the big guy with the Bucks, who really again this is a one show pony in my mind, or you know. Like I said, though, about Atlanta and Milwaukee, Isaiah, the Bucks mainly have one true superstar on their roster in Giannis. I mean, Middleton's a good second guy. Holiday's a good third guy. But again, not like a Paul, a Booker, an Aiton, you know, uh, guys like that. So certainly, I say, do you think that maybe that the Suns maybe, I wouldn't say caught a breakthrough, but certainly that, they, that with them being healthy throughout the entire uh, postseason is maybe what I think is what you think separates them right now from uh, Milwaukee in
0: this series? Yes, I do. Um, you know, you talked about Giannis Antetokounmpo. Obviously, he's compromised right now with that knee injury. Um, and then other guys on that team, they've just had their, you know, little uh, nicks and bruises uh, in this series and in this postseason. So you can obviously see and tell that Milwaukee is just not healthy. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are the healthier team. But, Callen, I think that one thing that is not a lot of people, are talking about in this about in this series is the fact that the Suns just have great chemistry. You know, you could see it—the great ball movement that they have, uh, the great locker room chemistry that they have. They just seem to love playing with each other and love playing for each other. I think that's also a big part as to why the Phoenix Suns are in the position that they're in right now, it's because of their chemistry. You look at the Warriors from back in 2014 to 2015. I know I've been comparing the Phoenix Suns, this Phoenix Suns team to the Golden State Warriors pre KD, but it's true. You know, that Golden State Warriors team, you know, before that year, Curry, he wasn't, you know, thought about as that superstar that everybody thinks of him as right now. You know, Draymond Green, he, he wasn't thought about as that, you know, all great player that, you know, he was, Uh, before that year, and then Klay Thompson as well, they were thought of as that team that, you know, they had some nice young players, but, you know, were they for real? Could they deliver when it counted the most? And a lot of people had questions about them, but what really helped them win it that year, yeah, it was the injuries to the Cavs, but also it was the fact that they had great chemistry. You know, they had great ball movement. The, The players. Uh, didn't seem to care about their own numbers. They cared about the team winning and you could just see it in this Phoenix Suns team. Devin Booker doesn't care about his numbers. Chris Paul doesn't really care about his numbers. Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder. They don't care about their numbers. They care more about winning than they care about their numbers. And I think that's very impressive, especially for a young team like the Phoenix Suns, who you would think of as, you know, young players. They always care about their own numbers. They care about their stats. More than winning a lot of the times, but you don't really see that in this phoenix suns team
1: you know and isaiah i I'm glad you brought that point up here because it it made me flash back to my senior year in high school nine years ago, playing my last year of baseball at the varsity level was about young kids kind of a you know overlooking you know or looking too much at their numbers you know we you know my team had a very similar stretch though isaiah to your point though. About, you know, where guys like me, you know, just for example, we're hitting like over 300 or 350 to start the season. But as you kind of start looking at this, you know, at the scorebook or at the box score and you see that you have, you know, three hits and you kind of start getting a bit complacent and stuff like that. Then you start striking out more often. You start popping out. You start, you know, not hitting balls, you know, getting on base or you know stuff like that, and your numbers go down, and you have to kind of stamp yourself back into reality. Now, Isaiah, I would counter your point, or at least you know agree with the point. Agree with the point, though. Agree with your point about the Suns, but I would also agree, though, with some, as as someone like myself who's rooting for Milwaukee, that the chemistry I think is there as well. But even with veterans like Holiday and with uh, Middleton, I'd say though, more so Isaiah of what I've seen though from the sons uh, from the uh, the Bucks though from from my side of the coin here in the in the finals. Is and this was this is something I say that I'll get into a little bit later when we talk some baseball. Is that something I kind of noticed a little bit, but not a lot though, because that they bounced back beautifully. But when Giannis got hurt in the conference finals, I thought, oh great, you know, Milwaukee season is gonna end because you know who's gonna help out or who's gonna step up? Because that's been like the very big question mark, sadly, saddled on this Bucks team has been, you know, okay, if you take Giannis out of the picture. Who's going to be the guy to help to step up and be that leader? And I know that the uh, first game, I believe, after Giannis got hurt, it was Chris Middleton playing great. Drew Holiday played great as well. So, like, those two guys stepped in, though. But I do agree, though, about the chemistry being there, though, with the Bucks. But I think, though, Isaiah more so, I think for me, though, like, the very big question, though, for me, though, is that if Giannis was to get injured again, who do you think probably becomes that, you know, that leader? I think more so I would have to look at Middleton, a Brooke Lopez maybe, or a Bobby Portis Jr. maybe, stuff, uh, guys like that, but certainly Isaiah. Do you see like any chemistry issues more so uh, with Milwaukee in your mind? Because I kind of think that both teams, I think, have great chemistry. I think more so that the only like red flag for me, though, with the Bucks is if Giannis does get hurt or does, in fact, you know, suffer some side effects from an injury, who's that next guy in line more so? What do you think?
0: Well... I think, you know, you're right. I think Milwaukee has uh, great chemistry. I wasn't saying, you know, that Milwaukee doesn't have great chemistry. I I was just saying how the Phoenix Suns, in my opinion, have gotten to the level like the level, this level, that they have gone to right now. But about your point about who's going to be you know, next man up, if Giannis does in fact, uh, and God forbid, he gets hurt again or he suffers some side effects from that injury, I think it's got to be Chris Middleton because this dude got paid a big contract. I think it was either this offseason or last, or or this past offseason or the offseason prior to this past offseason. He got a big fat contract to be the Robin to – uh, Giannis Tentacumpu's Batman. So he, he's got paid. So he's the one that I think, and he has shown that he can be the guy that steps up when Giannis gets hurt. I think he's the one that needs to step up when Giannis get uh if he does get hurt or if he's not looking like the same player, uh, because he's suffering some side effects from this injury. It has to be Chris Middleton because that's what the Bucks paid him to do. And, you know, another thing, Callan, that I don't think we brought up is that. About Chris Middleton, I like Chris Middleton as a player, but I'm not so sure that Chris Middleton can fully blossom into the player that he can be as a Robin to Giannis's Batman. Because I've seen when Giannis goes out and when he goes down, Chris Middleton is he instantly becomes the best player for the Milwaukee Bucks. He averages like 30 points. Like you saw um, in the games five and six against the Atlanta Hawks. He was balling in that series as you know, the Batman. So I don't know how um, he is because he hasn't really, he's been kind of inconsistent with when Giannis is on the floor. Uh, But if the Bucks want to have any chance of winning this series, Chris Middleton, he's got to play like that player that you know, showed everybody that he can ball in games five and game six of that series against the Hawks, rather than what we've seen in games one, two, and also now game three.
1: Behind forty-one points from Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Bucks are back in the series, folks. After uh, dropping the first two games of the NBA Finals down in Phoenix, they win the night one twenty-one hundred over the Suns. They're still down though in the series, two games to one, with game uh, with uh, game four coming up later in the week. Um on the ESPN Family Networks from Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Plenty of thoughts, Isaiah. Uh, Casey first says, uh, well, gents, not surprised that the Bucks won the night. I expected them to at least get game three. They were the better team. I do have the Suns in six and going to stick with it. I expect the next game, though, to be closer. I certainly hope Isaiah we get at least one close game here because, man, these blowouts are getting a little bit redundant.
0: Yeah, you know, I thought that this series was going to be a really good series because you had Devin Booker, you had Chris Paul versus Giannis in the Bucks, But it's been, you know, blowout on one side and then blowout again. And then the next side or the next game, you have a blowout from the other team. So it's like, can we please have a competitive uh, game at this point? Because that's what we really want. You know, nobody wants to see like blowout and then blowout again. And then uh, the other team comes up and then gets a blowout of the other team. And then you have blowout, blowout, blowout. Nobody wants to see that. So I think that's why the ratings, because I've seen, uh, I think the NBA released the ratings, that the ratings are kind of down for this finals. So they, they, I really hope that they have a close game rather than just continuously blowouts or game after game after game. Isaiah, two
1: words for you for why this is a low-rated final. Small markets.
0: Thank you for not bringing up Callan the voicemail that I accidentally sent you when I was talking to one of my coworkers. uh, Because Isaiah
1: said it's it's not the same not having the Lakers and Celtics in the final. But again, small market teams are being in there. And thank you ESPN for crapping upon both those cities as well, as we alluded to about a week or so ago with our 33-minute rants between me, Isaiah, and John Alcorn about – uh, the treatment of small market teams. Uh, Casey says, yes, Callan, the old Mecca, and it's still there in Milwaukee as the Admirals of the AHL play their home games there. Um, it is still there, and Bradley Center has been since torn down, I believe replaced by the Deer District, which is uh, basically this entire thing of uh, bars and restaurants, and uh, they've been having watch parties out there. Uh, shout out DJ Sean or Nichols of the Bucks, who's been uh, doing a great job with the uh, in-game entertainment squad during those uh, watch parties in the 414. Christy Wilson says Cam Johnson posterized PJ Tucker with that dunk. That was, I I hate to say it, Isaiah, but that was Michael Jordan-esque from the free throw line all the way to the hoop.
0: Yeah, that was very impressive. You know, I watched the highlight of it. I didn't watch it in real time, but I watched the highlight of it, and I was like – I was at McDonald's, you know, watching the highlight of it, and then all of a sudden I see it, and I'm just blown away by that dunk. It was a very impressive dunk by Cam Johnson. Um, I didn't even know that he had that type of athleticism because he didn't show that at North Carolina. He was more of a spot-up shooter at North Carolina. But, hey, man, when you doubt someone – they always blow, or they always prove you wrong. So kudos out to him. And once again,
1: folks, in Game Three of the NBA Finals, it is the Bucks, the Bucks, the Bucks over the Suns, one twenty-one hundo from Pfizer Foreman. I really want to know if that, if more of these, you know, triple-digit scores go up on the board, Isaiah. If these teams keep scoring over hundred points, this is probably on pace, in my mind, to be probably one of the
0: more higher-scoring finals in recent memory. I think that's good, though, for the sport, because remember last year, Callen. Uh, even though me and you, we both had our Lakers in the finals and it was great. But last year's finals, I felt like was kind of, you know, very low scoring. It was, you know, defensive effort on both. ends knockout, drag out games every single night. Exactly, because the Lakers were a great defensive team under Frank Vogel. The Heat were a great defensive team under Eric Spostra. So it was just, you know, a muddy, you know, battle in the trenches type of defensive battle from both teams. And I think it's very refreshing now that we get to see two offenses, two offenses that move the basketball, and is are great three-point shooting teams, great modern day style of play, uh, basketball teams going at it. And I think it's very refreshing we see that after what we saw last year.
1: Most definitely. I mean, you know, the, the, these three games, I mean, they've been blowouts. I mean, it's been fun to see a lot of high-octane offense and you know, a lot of scoring. And also, someone behind the scenes is asking, didn't Isaiah love McGregor at one point? We have video evidence of that somewhere. I'm trying to pull it up. But uh, we have other evidence, though, of Isaiah turning his back on one of his hometown teams, as, in fact, the uh, Astros and Yankees hooked up the day to wrap up that series at in Minute Maid Park. But, folks, Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah... Absolutely horrible, my man. I'm going to need to put these into. I uh, need to uh, load these in But Isaiah. Uh, first, uh, man, give us your thoughts more so as the Yankees came also close to uh, wrapping up a sweep over Houston. But uh, sadly, could not uh, finish off the job on Sunday.
0: Callan. I don't know what to say, my man. I really don't. You know, I was busy gloating in our MI6 group chat about how, oh, you know, after two weeks of terrible baseball from my Oakland A's, that we are very, very lucky to be in this position where we just took the series from the Texas Rangers to end the first half. And, you know, the Astros are going to get swept. It's a great day for me. It's a great day for the A's and for the A's fans to go into the all-star break. Only down two and a half. What? So, the Yankees put up, I believe, like four runs in.
1: Isaiah, can you please explain to the viewers what's on the screen right now?
0: You, you really had to bring that up, man. Uh, you really had to bring that up. Turning your back on the hometown
1: team, man. Explain yourself.
0: So... You guys know me. You guys have known me for a while now that whenever I go on vacation, I like to, you know, put on the other team's gear the home team's gear and i like to make posts on facebook twitter instagram various social medias uh social media accounts just trolling and rocking the hometown team so that was what this was Callan. i was just plainly trolling out here with that picture and trying to stir stuff up from the crowd i wasn't actually trying to be an astros fan um I was just, you know, just having fun, you know, just trying to troll. But, uh
1: but Isaiah, how do
0: you explain this? Well, I can explain that by saying that actually I got another jersey of that, but it's a, a black or it's a black one, I believe, or navy blue one with Alex Bregman on it. Um, you know, I wanted to get something from Houston. Uh, the only Clothes that I had brought on my trip was Niners, uh, I believe Lakers, Oakland A's, and Texas Rangers. And Callen, you know how diehard of a sports state that the state of Texas is. And if I had worn any of those clothing, the piece of clothing onto you know the street in Texas or in he in houston i would have gotten my butt kicked, so i had to get some clothes from houston fast because houston is a very diehard sports town and i had to you know put on something that would rock houston and not get my butt kicked in houston so that's what i did i had to buy that and you know that's why I bought it, just to save my own self from getting my butt kicked. And also, you know, I'm kind of proud to rock Alex Bregman's shirt because even though I hate the Astros, I really, really hate them. Uh, Alex Bregman, he was very nice to me at the Coliseum uh, during my interaction with him at the Col. But that was after you were talking mess to him, though, my man. What are you thinking? Okay, we're not going to talk about what happened no, with me yeah, and Alex.
1: Yeah, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. We can be here all night, sir. I, I, I want to hear this. Like, let's go.
0: I'm telling you folks, I've been set up. I've been set up by the MI6 family to have to spill my secrets that I desperately not didn't want to do to live on public. Man, this is going to be embarrassing, but – I was working the A's-Astros game. I believe this was three years ago, my first year working for the A's. And I hated the Astros before I worked for the A's. I hated the Astros ever since I started working for the Oakland A's. And Alex Bregman, man, this guy, no matter – If he was slumping coming into the series, or if he was red hot coming into the series, he would just cook the Oakland A's game after game after game after game. I mean, this guy was like Michael Jordan against the Oakland A's. That's how Great, He was against the A's. I don't know why. What about the Coliseum or what about the A's that he would just cook us every single game? And I bumped into him one time uh, as we were both passing, you know, passing by uh, me going to my own locker room, him going, I believe, to the field or going to take batting practice. And I bumped into him and I was like, hey, man, you know, I respect you. But can you please stop? beating up on my A's, man. And I also told him, like, you know, we got, I believe it was either Mike Fires or Chris Bassett on the mound or even Sean Manai. I don't remember the exact picture. And I was like, yo, you keep killing us, but you're not going to kill us anymore because we've got the, our best pitcher on the mound, one of the best pitchers in the American League on the mound, and we are going to shut you down tonight. And, uh, yeah, those words did not act. Did not exactly live up to the hype as, um, Cal, you, you could tell the folks out there what, what, what's transpired from Alex Bregman. I'm not going to spill it because I know that if I spill it, I'm going to be sick, but, uh, that's why I'm actually kind of proud to wear Alex Bregman's shirt because he was kind to me at the Coliseum.
1: I can't find the video of Isaiah declaring that McGregor would win the second fight between him and Poirier, but I know that there's a video somewhere of a no BS episode with John Alcorn, Isaiah, and Martin Garcia, where Isaiah had to drink, had to eat a raw egg live on air, but I cannot find it. But I know it's around here somewhere. So by the end of the night, maybe, or during the week, I'll be able to find that video for you folks. Isaiah needs to defend himself. What is it?
0: So it's not about the McGregor thing, but it's about the Alex Bregman thing. Since Callan won't tell y'all, um, I believe that day Alex Bregman hit two home runs and hit like a double against my A's. And he went like four for four against my A's. So me saying that either Sean Maniah, Chris Bassett, or Mike Fires and the A's would shut him down backfired badly against me. And I think the Astros won that game like 12 to five or something like that. Something like really bad. That's why you That's why you don't talk trash whether no matter if you're working or if you're out there as a fan or as a spectator you don't talk trash to the opposing team's players or managers
1: Isaiah learning the hard way sadly. Uh plenty of thoughts about this one. Uh, Christy Wilson first says Isaiah in a Astros jersey laughing faces across the board. Christy Wilson says Isaiah trolling
0: sure. Definitely trolling 100%. James Gonzalez
1: Shame. Definitely agree. Uh, my Man works says, Man, shout out to the big Bob Pataki drop from Hey Arnold. That's that's why it's in there, uh, Tyler. And, and and that's one of my favorite Hey, uh, hey, Ar- hey Arnold episodes, too. What? That's why it's there is for uh, reasons like that. Uh, Casey King says, Isaiah, is that going to be your new team if the A's move to Vegas? When I was in Vegas earlier this week, the A's officials were back there looking at sites for the third different time. Now, Isaiah, on a very serious note here, man, I know there's a very huge uh, city council vote going on up in up in the Bay Area. Uh, this is the third time, too, that Dave Cavall and the uh, A's Upper Brass have gone to Vegas. There's been some rumors that maybe going to the uh, AAA ballpark in Summerlin or back to Cashman Field to play at a temporary ballpark where they get this you know billion-dollar place built for the A's if, in fact, they move. To Vegas, But Isaiah, I, I know, man, that, you know, you know, you and I are in the same boat here, man, when it comes down to, you know, the Chargers leaving after so long because of a stadium issue. And now the A's again, I think this is like the third or fourth time in like the past, I'd say, 15 years, my man, that we've heard so much nonsense, basically, that I'd say, you know, nonsense, you know, from both sides of the uh, of the argument. Here. But certainly, Isaiah, can you uh, give uh, the viewers an update about how, in fact, this process is going right now in Oakland and how things uh, are sounding right now because I know that when you to- when we talked last time things were not sounding very very promising.
0: Callen is looking very grim. It really is. Um Dave Cavall held a uh, I believe a Zoom meeting with Oakland City Council members and legislatures or legislative folks. Um I believe it was a couple of days ago on last last Wednesday and it did not go great. You know, they presented their plan to the Oakland city council members, um, they presented, I believe the term sheet for how the ballpark will get paid for, um, in installments. And I think there's, I don't know about this rule in Oakland. If someone can, you know, educate us on this, uh, would really appreciate it. But apparently there's something in Oakland where if you're building a massive, you know, building or you're building or, trying to build a massive or build a massive project you have to uh put in something about affordable housing or something like that into your plan uh and you know dave cavall and isaiah i'm going to stop you for a second
1: i believe it's actually statewide because there's a there's a uh, there's a similar situation here in san diego concerning the future of the sports arena here that i last knew about that there is in fact um Uh, Something in regards to state laws in regards to affordable housing on a new uh, on a project of this size, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that like if you have to if you're building a sports arena stadium or building a project that is like that size, apparently you have to create some type of affordable housing or have some type of solution. And when the A's. Dave Cavall and the owner and you know A's management was pressed on it. Uh, they were just like, uh, 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 we have no clue. They they have no they had no clue. They had no affordable housing solution in their plan. And you know A's or the Oakland City Council members just looked at them with a really you know blank gasp- stare. Yeah, a blank stare as to how do you did you not know that this was a part of a law in California? You know, you've been working on this project for four years now, developing your plan uh, to move to potentially the Howard Terminal site, which is in Jack London Square in Oakland by the uh, by the water, and you come up with a good plan and you don't have. An item that you had to have in there based on the law. And that is the affordable housing solution. So it's really grim right now. Uh, the A's, I believe, have until July 20th, which is next week to you know fix everything up and present a new plan to Oakland. They're going to be voting uh, either yes or no if they're going to agree to the A's ballpark. If they do agree, I believe they can start construction as soon as this fall. But if they don't agree, it's going to be a very sad and hollowing day in Oakland, as I believe if they say no, then I think it's guaranteed that the A's are going to move. And I guarantee you that uh, where I work in the Oakland right now, we only get like 6,000 to 10,000 fans at most for a game at the Coliseum. I guarantee you that number is going to go down to at least only 1,000 to 3,000 by if they vote no on July 20th and it's confirmed that the A's are moving because i think that's the last that's the last stand callan i think if they vote no i think it's guaranteed just like you know what happened with uh, in the NFL meetings callan i'm not i'm sorry for bringing it up and you know putting salt in your wound but this this we are running into a potential moment just like what happened when the NFL uh, had that you know vote about if the Chargers and Rams were going to move this is the moment July 20th is that moment if they vote no it's over and i think the A's are going to move for sure
1: isaiah i know that you had or i read i think from a tweet from someone who writes for the A's or writes in the bay area covering that first home game that the A's had at 100% capacity after the restrictions were lifted for COVID. And I believe they announced just over 4,700 people at the Oakland Coliseum. Now, even though I was, that was like a Tuesday afternoon or like a Thursday afternoon at full capacity, but do you believe, though, that first game, though, at full capacity, with there being hardly anyone, there was like maybe like the first domino to fall with the fan base beginning to revolt against the athletics organization?
0: No, because I think that you can't really, um, say that, like, even though it was like really bad in terms of attendance wise, this type of attendance stuff has been going on for years when it comes to, you know, weekday games. A's fans typically don't go out to the ballpark until the weekend. You know, on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, when they had the Red Sox in town, I believe they drew like over 20,000 for each game. And then on fireworks night that Friday, they had, I believe like 35,000. I might be wrong on the exact number, but they I know had a- it was a sellout. I know it was a sellout for that night. Yeah, it was a sellout. And, uh, so I think that, uh, the fans are still committed, especially like the diehard fans. I just think that, you know, The 4,000-plus fans that you saw on that Tuesday night was just a factor of, you know, the fans. It's like a 640 first pitch start. Um, It's, you know, very inconvenient for fans to go to the Coliseum because it's kind of like the Tampa Bay Rays and their stadium. You know, it's not in downtown Oakland. It's a bit farther from downtown. And, you know, with the The start time is inconvenient to fans because they're still getting off work. Traffic is hell in the Bay Area. So I think that was more of why fans didn't show up for that 100% capacity crowd. And plus, I believe they were playing the Texas Rangers on that day who aren't really uh, that big of a draw in Oakland anyways.
1: Isaiah, one more question I wanted to bring about this again, folks. We're kind of uh, talking about this. Again, this is kind of a very serious note here, even though we've uh, enjoyed clowning Isaiah about his ball club. Uh, but certainly, though, it's a very uh, you know huge talk. But again, it's the A's upper brass has gone to Vegas for a third time within the last, I'd say, two months to talk to Vegas officials about potentially uh, looking at sites, perhaps for a temporary ballpark until they can get their new ballpark perhaps built in Vegas. But Isaiah, uh, if, in fact, the A's are at home, the day of that vote on July 20th, though I I don't think they are. They might be. I'm not sure, though, because I don't have their schedule. I know they're coming here, though, to San Diego, July 27th, to play the Padres in a two-game series. But certainly, Isaiah, if in fact, though, that that vote takes place on an ace home game date and the vote does not go in favor of the organization, what probably do you think, though, is going to be the mood that night at the Coliseum? Do you think that no one shows up? Some people show up or do people probably, I think they'll kind of begin to make their plans to kind of, you know, start going to those games and like, Hey, this is the last two raw for the, for the ball club.
0: Callan I believe that day when the vote is taking place is Wednesday, and, you know, A's fans, they typically don't show up for a weeknight game, or, yeah, weeknight game anyways. so um, I expect it to be, you know, the regular, like, 4,000, 5,000-ish crowd that we're going to have at the Coliseum, but I'll tell you this, I think that it's going to be like Cleveland. When the Cleveland Browns moved, I think because those fans, the four, 4,000, 5,000 fans that we typically get on the weekdays are the most diehard, most loyal fans of the Oakland A's. And I could see them, you know, throwing stuff onto the field, you know, cursing at A's management. I mean, heck, when Dave Calvo, you know, put out something on Twitter, I think it was like a month ago when he when went to the Knights, Golden Knights game. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. He posted a video of him going to the Golden Knights game. Uh, A's fans started an F.U. Cavill" chant in the eighth inning of that game, and you could hear it. I think you were watching that game, yes. uh, if I'm not mistaken. That game was and on
1: you- MLB Network down here in, in San Diego, yes. and I was trying yep. to, And I was trying to make out what was being said, and then it's like, oh crap, they're directing it towards the owner or towards the team president.
0: Yeah, I I was there in the stadium that night and there was an FU Cavill chant that broke out uh, in the eighth inning when the fans got alerted or saw that tweet. So if, if you're having that type of stuff breaking out now, I think you could see, you know, fans either not show up that night and we have like our lowest crowd of the last three years that I've worked there for the A's. Or you could see fans possibly like, especially if they're like losing big in that game or just in that game in general, you could just start seeing fans just throwing stuff onto the field. And it might be like what we had transpire when the Blue Jays fans got upset when the when the umpires made a call for the Texas Rangers back in game five of the twenty fifteen American League DS and started throwing stuff and just littering the field.
1: Uh, the Braves fans did that against the Cardinals, I think, in the wild card round uh, with that infield fly rule. That was obviously not an infield fly, but still, I was certainly that. Um, by the way, Isaiah, quick clarification about that schedule, folks. When, in fact, this vote takes place, Isaiah, the A's are at home playing the Los Angeles Angels. The only saving grace, maybe, the game's at 12.37 in the afternoon.
0: Ooh, that's that's even going to be worse because, like, that it- – The vote, I believe, is happening either at 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. So we could get a, uh, like, we could get a solution or we could find out the results of that midway through in the game. So I, I anticipate, you know, if they don't, or they say no, I anticipate, you know, an FU type chant breaking out again, multiple FU type chants or just terrible language chants just breaking out. And I could see fans, you know, especially late in that game, if it's like, you know, not close or if the A's are losing, just throwing stuff onto the field. But it's going to be a really ugly scene.
1: I could honestly see people that were at the game. um, uh, walk out. I could also see people who paid their money to go to the game just walk out of the ballpark and say, you know, I'm done with the organization. And certainly, Isaiah, you know, I think one more thing, or and I'm saying like, you know, one more thing, but certainly, you know, I, you know, like you said though, I mean, I saw this kind of happen firsthand here in San Diego with the Chargers leaving in 2016, though. But more so, it was about Charger fans selling their tickets to opposing fans, which was more so what happened here because. We all kind of knew that the Spanos family was going to be, you know, already had a foot out the door. And when Scott Kaplan, who used to work here in San Diego on 1090 AM here when he was working for CBS one day, they showed a picture or they showed a live shot of Dean Spanos in the press box kind of going like this because of the weather or because he was stressed out because, you know, he was going to have you know this impending decision to move out. And when Scott Kaplan said that he talked to Dean before the game saying he's leaning towards Los Angeles. Just those three words, leaning towards Los Angeles, those four words. I mean, you know, him saying leaning towards Los Angeles, that's kind of when the shoe fell and when Charger fans began their fan revolt of selling their tickets to opposing fans. Where you saw a lot of Charger games, Isaiah, here in San Diego, looked, you know, like it was a home game for the Chiefs or the Broncos or the Bears or even the Steelers. Uh, you know, they, you know, terrible towels all throughout, uh, Qualcomm stadium. And that's what I think though. I, I don't think, well, I don't think what happened in Oakland, but more so I think that if fans were already at the game, Isaiah, I feel like they would probably just walk out and leave and then go from there.
0: Yeah, I, I could see, um, I could see what you're bringing up happening, but I just anticipate some really ugly scenes, uh, in Oakland, that day, maybe probably even that night. But I'm just hoping that, uh, especially for my safety, that that you know, nothing
1: that nothing transpires during the game. I totally understand.
0: No, nothing during the game, nothing in the parking lot, nothing, you know, in the BART station because, you know, it's close to it. So, man, I, I don't even know if I'm going to work that day. I, probably, I might even just take the day off, honestly, and just work, watch from TV.
1: I mean, and, and just in perspective, folks, again, you know, as one sports fan who's lost an organization, but certainly Oakland, though. The Warriors, the Raiders, and now the A's, who've been there since nineteen, you know, since the sixties, could be on their way out, as uh, Casey alluded to here with the uh, uh, A's and their upper brass and Dave Cavall going to Vegas for a third time to check out potential ball, uh, ballpark sites. Isaiah, back over before we in fact move on.
0: And what's really going to be hard about this is if they do move, is that you know. I'm going to lose my job with the A's. And even though you guys have seen those videos of me ripping the team to shreds and, you know, ripping Matt Chapman because he can't hit a damn fastball to save his life or, you know, ripping Sean Murphy because he's swinging out a pitch at his head. um, I love working for the A's and I love working for them because they, you know, they treat the workers extremely well. I actually had an opportunity to speak with uh, Dave Cavall when I, when I was, going to the game as a fan, I told him like, Hey, you know, I've worked for the Niners. I did work for the Warriors. And you guys out of all three organizations, I'm not trying to put, you know, the Niners or the Warriors on blast, but out of every organization that I've worked for, you guys treat the employees extremely well. You know, you give us uh, great deals on food, free tickets, all that stuff, you know, like the Niners, they don't even give you free tickets. Heck, Callan, I your uh your San Diego Gulls or the Anaheim ducks that you work for, they probably don't even give you like free tickets or free merch or you know, free free food or anything like that, or even fifty percent off on food. Like uh, that's
1: no, we we get plenty of we get plenty of perks, don't worry, we do.
0: But you know, this they treat The A's treat the employees really great, and I'm just so gracious that they gave me an opportunity to work there. And, you know, it's just going to be really sad because I was really sad and I was really depressed and really upset when I couldn't work last year because of the pandemic, because I missed my coworkers so much. But if they move and I can't work anymore for the A's and work alongside my great coworkers, I, I really don't know how I will react. I honestly don't know.
1: I mean, and, and that's the beauty folks, you know, people may think it's just, you know, it's just a game, you know, there's a winner and a loser, but it, it, but it's more so, you know, for, for our sake here, especially, you know, with me working, you know, in, 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 the broadcast side of things, the media side of things is that, you know, you have, you know, your coworkers, you know, your bosses and, you know, all your friends who you go out and dine with after games. And you, you know, in my case, you traveled the road and back for 22 dates out of the year going to Irvine last season and, and certainly, you know, and, and we we hope and pray for the best and, uh, and hope that the uh, a resolution can be made, though. But certainly, though, Isaiah, with nine days left, though, man, that clock is ticking. It's ticking fast, sadly.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm nervous because looking at the reports, this might be, you know, my last year working for the Oakland A's because I've heard reports that they might they might go to Vegas like, or they might agree to move to Vegas. And with the ballpark, not even being built, they might not want what happened with the Raiders. You remember that final still couple. play of in years? Oakland? Yep. Still play in Oakland. Nobody showed up. And when they did show up, the fans just trashed the fields. They might, they don't want that type of situation to arise. So they might just play the aviators park for uh the, like, just like until they get that new ballpark, like the Los Angeles Rams did at the Los Angeles Kyle. Coliseum, so it's it's really tough, man. It really is. I mean, as someone
1: who again, you know, saw a team leave, you know, in the wee hours of the morning on January twelfth of twenty sixteen or seventeen, when the charters end up going to Los Angeles and playing up in Carson, certainly I I share the pain of uh, all of our great friends, including Isaiah, up in Oaktown. Plenty of thoughts, though, Isaiah, rolling in. Didn't mean to make the tab that Something goes so long, folks, but uh, Christy agrees, though, with Isaiah been to Texas, mainly Dallas and I can and I can't confirm how big of a sports state Texas is. James also says Isaiah, Isaiah you could have just bought some plain white tees, man.
0: Uh I mean I could have done that, but I don't know why I didn't think of that in I thought of you know what let's buy a Cowboys gear let's buy Texas A&M gear let's buy UT gear let's buy TCU gear let's buy Texas Tech gear let's buy Astros stuff let's buy even buy a Deshaun Watson Houston Texans t-shirt never wear on any programs we have on the MI6 Sports Network which I did get for only 10, 10 bucks
1: yeah, I mean you could at least like wear that Yao Ming blue rocket jersey you got that's a knockoff from the 90s
0: at least I forgot to bring it. I forgot to bring it, but I did bring a Houston Rockets uh, jersey that I had personally made for myself when I was in China. So I could have there worn that, but I was like, ah, you know, I want to be wearing that for like five days. Probably not.
1: No, uh, Tyler says, uh, guys. Breaking news: the A's are moving to Los. No, wait a second. Breaking news: the A's will stay in Oak. No, wait a second. Breaking news: the A's may or may not stay in Oakland or move somewhere else. I think it's looking towards Vegas sadly at this rate. Uh, James Gonzalez also says that the right field fans in Oakland are some of the best with all the noise making. I mean, James, they literally make it feel like it's a soccer match. I mean, and I, I've been to, uh, I think four games up in Oakland and the people up there, probably some of the best fans in baseball, you know, very, very, you know, welcoming, uh, maybe minus, you know, certain, uh, organizations, but certainly, you know, uh, uh, recently, though, that those right, those uh, the, right, uh, the right field fans are certainly some of the best in baseball. Casey King agrees with us. Uh, Isaiah he says they might show up though if Otani pitches that game at twelve thirty-seven in nine days. Uh, Christy Wilson says, guys, I just hope that no fights break out. Certainly, I mean, have some compassion, some sanity for all the employees who are in fact there, uh, and have patience as well. Uh, Casey also says, I wonder if those guys with the drums will show up. I mean, they, I mean. Literally, Isaiah, it looks like it. Literally, looks like you're watching a soccer match with how vocal they are and how they have all the flags put out across the uh, uh, on top of the out of town scoreboard in right field there at the Coliseum.
0: Yeah, it's you know it's a great environment. Um, I think that's what A's fans or A's games are known for. It's that those fans in the right field bleachers or even the left field bleachers with their drums and shouting at the right fielder or the left fielder uh, after every either home run by the A's or just run scored in general by the A's. Like those fans are great. They've been there since I believe uh, the late eighties. So they are just diehard loyal fans. And, you know, I, I really hope and pray that the A's don't leave because I don't know like how those fans are going to feel. I don't even know, like if they're even going to watch baseball anymore uh, with their team, if they do in fact leave for Las Vegas,
1: you know, and, and, I I feel the most pain, though, for those families who've had generations and generations of their family go and watch these teams play. You know, think of all the, you know, Charger families, you know, for 56 years. You know, my dad, for example, went with his dad to Balboa Stadium to watch the Chargers play in the AFL. They were at the... Last time that the uh, that the Chargers or Padres won a championship in '63, as I always tell Isaiah, that we haven't won since JFK was in office when they beat the Boston Patriots. But my dad was there; he saw the Jets and the Broncos, the Raiders, the Bengals, and you know the Boston Patriots, who are now in New England, and the Dallas Texans. You know, and just thinking about you know like those generations of of families who had you know spent those years at you know at Balboa or at Qualcomm, you know San Diego Jack Murphy or whatever. Uh, just in my family's case with the Padres. I mean, you know, my parents used to go to games when they were a PCL team. They were a A team back in the 50s at Westgate Park, which is now Fashion Valley, and then going to, you know, going to the stadium, and then, you know, with me and my brother coming along and, you know, going to Qualcomm during the 98 season, when we, you know, the World Series, the CS, the DS, and all that stuff, and then to Petco and stuff like that. So certainly, you know, those are the people I feel, the you know, the most painful is all those families who put years and years and years of their life savings into – going to games, you know, for, you know, like I, I think I've told the guys though, but you know, uh, I kind of, I'm rooting partially a little bit though. I'm rooting for the Bucks, but I do perhaps have some family ties to Phoenix uh, because quick story, my, uh, on my mom's side of the family, the Sarver family uh, married into my mom's side of the family way back when, but we cannot tell though right now, if Robert Sarver, the owner of his sons and Mercury is related to the family. So we're, You know, I I think about, you know, but I, I say I think about stories or think about people like that, though, who have had their families go to, for example, Padre games in the PCL when they were a minor league ball club and they won four or five championships as a minor league team going to Lane Field or Westgate and then going to Qualcomm or San Diego, Jack Murphy, Qualcomm Stadium. Then you have me come along in the 90s when they go to the World Series and then, now I'm going to games at Petco and seeing, you know, them actually competing for once. And, you know, that's who I feel the most painful is, you know, friends of mine or families that, you know, have had generations of, of, of them go to games. I mean, baseball has been in my blood because I have a, a, a picture somewhere real quick of a great, 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 great grandfather of mine who was at the game where Babe Ruth called his shot in the 1932 World Series. He's the only guy in Wrigley wearing a Yankee hat. It was insane.
0: Wow, that's that's crazy, man. If you could, you know, bring up that picture, you know, we would definitely be, like, shocked to see that. But I don't know if they had – did they have cameras back then? I'm not really sure. I actually
1: have the picture. I need to pull it up, though, but I will do that when we let you uh, talk UFC here in a second. Uh, also, Casey says, I went through the same thing, guys, in 94 when the Rams left uh, left L.A. for St. Louis, and he was at in uh, the last game ever in Anaheim when they were playing at Anaheim Stadium on Christmas Eve. Dark, sad and ugly. Twenty thousand people showed up, and three, uh, and three, uh, three days later, they made the decision to move uh, to St. Louis. But in January, they came back, and it was a happy day. And also, I say don't forget that the uh, Coliseum was the Rams' home from forty-five to seventy-nine, and that uh, Casey's dad was a seasoned seat holder from sixty-nine till nineteen ninety-four when they left for St. Louis the same year I was born.
0: That's unbelievable, man. Uh Casey, I'm glad that the Rams actually came back. You know, I'm, I'm i feel bad for the people of St. Louis because Absolutely. St. Louis is a diehard, passionate sports town and they deserve an NFL team. But I actually am kind of glad that LA has, you know, a football team now because that was kind of what was missing from Los Angeles. Even though they have the Lakers, they have the Clippers, they have the Dodgers, the Angels, all that good stuff. But I felt like
1: See, Isaiah, you flunked geography. Anaheim is not in Los Angeles. It's in Orange County.
0: Before you knew me, I had actually um, – I had actually – when I was talking about L.A. sports, I did not know that San Diego and Los Angeles was separate. So I would love the Chargers, the Padres, the uh, – I think that was, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Chargers and the Padres into LA sports when talking about, you know, uh, LA sports and how, like, they have so many great teams.
1: Yeah. We are, we, uh, we are our own separate entity down here in Southern California. He says, wow, Cal, that is amazing. I'm going to find that <laughs> photo for you, folks, because we're going to give Isaiah the floor to talk about this uh, UFC fight that took place on Saturday in Las Vegas, Nevada. As usual, folks, it was Poirier McGregor part three and done after one round after a doctor stoppage because of Conor uh, McGregor's very gnarly broken ankle supper at the end of round one. Um, Isaiah, I'm not very big into UFC, though. but certainly, though, that, you know, I think, though, that I will save us real quick, though. Conor McGregor's glory days of of owning the UFC are now gone. Goodbye and buried, if you ask me again. This guy's retired, I think, two separate times. He's come back, and he's looked very, very rusty. He's had, you know, of course, that, you know, fight with uh, f- with uh, Floyd Mayweather and certainly man has not been the same fighter that he once was. though. I think age has gone but also think though the cage rust of not, being able, of not being in there every so often and taking years off off your game. And certainly I think though Isaiah, with how well conditioned these athletes are, man. And I and again I give all all the respect though and praise to how well in condition boxers are, MMA fighters are, Muay Thai fighters are because of the of the of of, of how demanding excuse me, that sport is, though, but certainly Isaiah. I do think, though, that McGregor's time is up, though, because I think he's, you know, he's he, he's been very, very, I'd say, wishy-washy. You know, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, and then, you know, stuff like that. And I think, though, in a sport, though, like MMA, you can't take days off, though. I mean, yeah, you probably could, though, like reco- rest and recover, though but certainly, though, man, I think, though, that, He he's not been focused. I think that's what I'm getting at here. I think he's just been more so. All right, I got my paycheck. I'm going to go out there and get my ass kicked in the first round and go from there. But the money's in the bank, you know, and stuff like that. But certainly though, Isaiah, uh, gnarly injury though. Hoping the best for Connor uh, with that injury. I know he uh, didn't, in fact, go uh, undergo um, successful surgery on that ankle. But certainly though, Isaiah, I, I think though that you know, once was enough. Two was was whatever. Third time though, fighting Dustin Poirier, I'm not interested. But
0: Floor is all yours. Callan, you hit the nail on the head. Conor McGregor, his career is done. His career is gone. Goodbye, like you always say. Um, He needs to retire. I think this guy, his best days in the octagon are totally behind him. I mean, this guy, like you said, Callan, you know, when you are participating in combat sports, you cannot taking you know years off. This is what Conor McGregor did. This guy has fought four times and he's lost three of his last four fights. The only fight that he's won since Barack Obama was the president of the United States was he beat Donald Cerrone, who it was, I believe, 38 years old, 39 years old. He was you know, going out of the USC, UFC, his best days were definitely way behind him. And he only took that fight because Callen, like you know, and I both know, and all the fans that are watching our show right now know when you fight Conor McGregor, It's the money fight. It's all about the money. Uh, That's why you take that fight. So that's Conor McGregor. His best days are in the past. His lucky charms, like Christy alluded to last night on Coast to Coast Entertainment Network to Sports Minute, his best, his lucky charms are gone. Conor McGregor, he needs to retire from the UFC. And I just don't think he should uh, he should fight anymore because, dude, this guy is what? 33, 34 now. I might be wrong when it's his age, but he's up there in age. He just, he's just suffered a broken leg. You know how that's very devastating to come back from. That is like a torn Achilles when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, to bat or basketball, football. And it's like a blown elbow when it comes to baseball. That's how bad of an injury that is because when you break your leg, like, Typically fighters, they just don't recover from it afterwards because your leg just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So I think Conor McGregor, he really needs to retire. Um I got to give a shout out, Callen, to uh Dustin Poirier because, you know, Dustin Poirier, he is like – The the David and Goliath story, they always teach us. You know, Dustin Poirier got whooped by Conor McGregor in his first fight. He was a very young fighter. He got whooped by Conor McGregor in that first fight. I believe Conor McGregor knocked him out within two minutes of that first fight. And he admitted, you know, I was young. I let Conor McGregor's antics get into my head. And Callan, you and I both know this, that when you are fighting or whenever – What's, whatever sport that you are playing, when you let someone's trash talk get into your head, then it's over before the game or the fight even begins. So, you know, Dustin Poirier, that's why he lost the first fight. The second fight, he's like – I believe he's seven years older than the first fight or – five years older than the first fight. He's more mature. He bounces back. He knocks Conor McGregor out. He doesn't let Conor McGregor's trash talk bother him. And then he, he wins that fight. And then fight number three, you know, I know everybody's going to say that, oh, Conor McGregor broke his ankle. And, you know, it's, it should have been a no decision. But if you actually watch that fight, Conor McGregor was losing that fight from the very beginning. Dustin Poirier looked like the better fighter. He was all over Conor McGregor from when the bell rang. Uh, and, you know, Dustin, I believe he really did a great job of. Not letting Conor McGregor's trash talk bother him like it did in that first fight. And he's bounced back uh, after Conor McGregor just completely destroyed him in that first fight. And he's now taken the next two fights. So you got to give credit where credit is due to Dustin Poirier. Uh, The guy has... Uh, the mindset of a warrior, uh, because he's he got knocked down and he came back up. He could have easily gone down and just said, "You know what? I got embarrassed. I got humiliated in that first fight, and I'm just gonna retire from the sport." But he didn't do that. He came back up and he fought again, and he got his revenge on Conor McGregor. I'm very happy for him. You know, they should make a movie on Dustin Poirier's story. That's how uh, great of a story it is. But uh, Callen. I think you might want to put that two-way screen back on because I'm about to say some stuff that I think you will definitely agree with me on. And, you know, I think the fans want to see your reaction. uh, My camera is glitching out right now. But, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are freaking out about what Dustin Poirier did after the fight, you know, people are calling him classless because he called Conor McGregor a dirtbag bag in his post fight interview. And he did the Conor McGregor, Vince McMahon stroll um, with McGregor watching on injured post fight. I think those people need to be quiet. I really do because I absolutely 1000% agree with what Dustin Poirier did post fight. You know, Callen, you and I have both played sports, we now work in the sports industry, and you know we we're okay with trash talk it's okay to talk trash. you know I love talking trash because you know it gets the competitive juices flowing, but there's a fine line between talking trash and taking personal digs at someone. When you're talking trash, and I talk trash all the time, I do it to my guy Stephen Wang because we have a beautiful rivalry going. There's boundaries when it comes to talking trash. It's not okay to bring up someone's wife, bring up someone's kids, and say that you're gonna literally kill that opponent of yours in the ring or in the octagon, whatever it is, and That person is going to be sent out of the fight in a hospital or in a stretcher and into the hospital, and he will never get to see his family again. That was way, way, way too far by Conor McGregor. And I think that, you know, not just that, but post-fight, when Conor McGregor is lying there injured on the mat, He has a broken leg, and after Dustin Poirier does what he does in his post-fight interview, Conor McGregor has the audacity and the gall to say – Dustin, this is not bleeping over yet. We're gonna go at it one more time, and your wife is this and that, and saying a bunch of nasty stuff about Dustin Poirier's wife, and you know, calling him a uh calling him a, a steroid head or juice head and all this crap that Connor McGregor did. Connor, first of all, what you did leading up to the fight was already not okay and was already very unnecessary and a very, very low blow for you to do what you did post fight is like, just take your L and shut up rather than be the classless human being that you are. I was once a fan of Conor McGregor, but after seeing what he's done, you know, whether it's, you know, talking trash in the lead up to the fight or talking trash during the fight, or even after the fight, whether if he's losing or not, that has what has really turned me off on Conor McGregor. And I'm completely okay with Dustin Poirier doing what he's doing because his his anger from all that talk that he had to endure from Conor McGregor, it all boiled over. And everybody's saying, like, he's callous and stuff like that. What do you expect the man to do? He's, he's a human being just like the rest of us. And if you guys had heard what McGregor said about his family, about his wife, and about, you know, killing him – you're probably going to do the same thing and probably do worse than what Dustin Poirier did out there on the Octagon on Saturday. And I think that Dana White, the commissioner of the UFC, he should punish Conor McGregor for what he did because that type of conduct that he did to Dustin Poirier was not okay. And I'm, I'm really shocked, Callan, that since Dustin Poirier was in the same ring as Conor McGregor um, when McGregor was giving his nasty post-fight speech – I'm surprised that Dustin Poirier didn't go over there and smack him a bunch and break the other leg because that, I think, you know, a bunch of fighters would have done that if they had heard what McGregor said about Poirier's wife.
1: And hence why I'm not the biggest UFC fan because of the banter. I mean, there's a fine line, as Isaiah said, though, but I don't, that's why I'm not a big fan of UFC, nor do I want to pay admission or go and pay pay pay-per-view to watch every single fight last 30 seconds. I mean, if I'm going to go to an event, I want to be there for nine innings or four quarters of a basketball game or be there for, you know, seven hockey overtimes or for a full 90 minute soccer match. I don't want to be there and watch, you know, eight or 10, you know, fights all in in 30 seconds as most of these fights nine times out of 10 do. And that's why I'm not very big into it. And neither am I into it because of how most of these guys, these guys carry themselves though. And yeah, I, and and I'm not the uh, and I'm not one. I mean, I used to be, but now with my but 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 now I'm not one who condones trash talk. I don't endorse trash talk, nor do I partake in it because uh, of plenty of boundaries that I have to uh, watch as well, and watching my six and watching my nines and dotting my t's and i's every day. But that's also Isaiah why you know people like me can't get behind the sport though because uh, of how most of these guys, or not most, but some of these guys, uh, in fact uh, uh, carry themselves, uh, either in the cage or outside the cage because of stuff like this.
0: Well, Callan, I think that, you know, um, about this regarding trash talking, I don't think that this just applies to the UFC. I think this applies to every sport in general, because if you talk like how Conor McGregor did, um, if you're on the football field or you're on, you know, the baseball field, or even on the court, Heck, you would have gotten killed right there and then, either on the court or on the field or, you know, on the ice. There's no, there's no tolerance for this type of stuff. And I know that, you know, not a lot of UFC fighters do that because I know a lot of UFC fighters are, you know, classy and stuff like that. But Conor McGregor crossed the line and he's crossed a bunch of lines plenty of times. And, you know, everybody like are freaking out about how Dustin Poirier should rise above it please. The guy had to endure a ton of stuff. Emotions boiled over because he's sick and tired of hearing what Conor McGregor has to say. And I don't blame him one bit because the guy is a human being and he has every right to, to let his emotions out, especially after what Conor McGregor said.
1: And and again, just like I said, you know, and, and I think though, I say that, you know, like, I I think there may be like one guy that I probably know who, Keeps things lighted, and I think that sh- that's that's uh, Sean O'Malley, who's been very known to, uh, you know, that he'll. What I've seen from videos that he really uh, makes fun, uh, or at least has some fun, though, at the weigh-in or at the face-off. I remember seeing a video of him facing off, but then he grabbed his one and took a selfie. Him and another guy did one where they chugged a protein shake together. You know, stuff like that. But but at the same time, though, is uh, the reason why I think though that. You know, majority, you know, and again, I don't want to single out any athletes, but that why I think that, you know, UFC trash talk or combat sports trash talk is up here. Everything else is down here is because that a lot of these guys who are, in fact, in combat sports, Isaiah, come from broken neighborhoods, broken families, you know, fighting for themselves and fighting for their lives because of the conditions at home or being bullied in school. Uh, I think that Michaela Mayer, who's one of the rising women's boxing uh, stars, I think, I don't want to, you know, don't quote me on this, but I think, though, that she mainly took a boxing Isaiah because of both, you know, home life, but also, I think, though, because she was getting bullied at school and stuff like that. But certainly, I think, though, that that that's why I think sometimes that majority of your fighters, you know, kind of maybe run their mouths like that because they've had to basically do that just to survive on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, a lot of the UFC fighters, um, they do trash talk and it does go pretty far, but I just think that, you know, I've watched a lot of, you know, post pre fight, post fight press conferences. Uh, I just think that, you know, Conor McGregor just takes it too far. You know, that's what Khabib Nurmagomedov got mad at him after their fight and he stormed, uh, or he stormed out of the octagon and went after Conor McGregor's people because this dude was bringing up religion. He was bringing up uh, Khabib's dead father and stuff like that. It's like there's just stuff that when you trash talk, You don't touch. You don't touch people's families. You don't touch people's wives. You don't call people's wives nasty stuff. You don't um, talk about people's kids. You don't talk about people's religion. You don't talk about people's dead father. And I know Tyler Work had brought up a comment when I said that Dana White, the commissioner of UFC, needed to punish Conor McGregor. He probably won't because Dana White is one of the biggest McGregor fanboys ever. I mean this guy defends Conor McGregor literally every – thing that Conor McGregor does, he defends it. And I just think it's not okay. You have to set an example or else guys are going to keep getting pissed. Guys are going to, you know, eventually do stuff to Conor McGregor and, you know, Conor McGregor, he he will one day, I guarantee you have to pay for his actions in the octagon, probably after a fight because he said some nasty thing and some fighter comes up to him and just beats his butt up again and maybe breaks his entire body.
1: Uh, folks, if you're a boxing fan, can you correct me? But I think Mike Tyson once had a similar quote about, uh, a opponent. He said he was going to eat the kids, or uh, you know, eat, eat the guy's children. So, I mean, Iron Mike even stirring the pot, uh, Mitch blood green, uh, best known for flexing his muscles and calling someone, uh, the H word uh, many, many years ago. So certainly, you know, there's some, there, there's some good apples, bad apples, but again, I'm not the biggest UFC fan, but again, folks, Dustin Poirier, wins the third of uh, the trilogy fight against Conor McGregor via a doctor's stoppage after McGregor snapped his left ankle in very gruesome fashion on Saturday night in Vegas. Uh, plenty of commentary though. Isaiah, excuse me, rolling in from the MI6 viewers. First James Gonzalez. He writes in to say, fellows uh, always and forever, San Diego greater than LA Christy Wilson. Plenty of thoughts. Mercy says, I just wish that they didn't show the replay of McGregor's injury. It was flat out gross. Certainly uh, agree. And also, Christy agrees, though, uh, with Callen. Uh, She says that uh, I agree with Cal that McGregor is, in fact, done. He needs to go into the world of pro wrestling, like some people think he should. Don't think he would do uh, well in it either. Uh, I I think he would probably, i say, break all the rules, though, in regards to you can't strike so hard. You have to open your fist. You have to do this, do that. And no way is he going to take orders from Vince McMahon either
0: and it's not just you know what he's doing on in the ring i mean i could see him you know giving the wwe tons of fines because he's calling fighters nasty stuff he's um he's you know swearing a bunch and uh he i guarantee you like Fighters that are fighting him in the WWE, they probably break script too, just to kick his ass, because he probably said something about his their wife or their children or this and that. So I, I really don't think he would just work in the UFC. And I think McGregor, he honestly does needs to do some soul searching.
1: I, I thought about him maybe being an analyst, but I'm, I'm thinking no, <laughs> there, there's no way.
0: Callan, I don't think I've even, I've ever heard Conor McGregor talk maybe one or two sentences without dropping a cuss word in his speech. So maybe if you get him on an unfiltered show or an unfiltered podcast, then maybe he would. But if it's like boxing commentary or dub w- or a WWE commentary or even MMA commentary, he would not even last a single minute commenting for ESPN, CBS, or any of the big networks or even in the small, with the small networks in general.
1: Uh, definitely as well with, uh, Chris to Christie's point though, with, with the WWE in this PG era too. I mean, they're the, you can't do much. I mean, they, I don't think they, I haven't watched, watched the pro wrestling show in a, in in a, in a few years, but I know that they're, they've broken away from the attitude era of when it was at the high point, when I was growing up and, you know, stone cold, the rock and those guys that it's kind of, you know, in a way kind of been watered down a little bit, but, there's no way McGregor would last, you know, one week without something going wrong. And also, uh, Christy, uh, Tyler Work says the rise of McGregor fellows was a ton of fun, but once Connor became a two division he held up both weight classes to go box Floyd and his gimmick got old fast. Hence why I say that goes back to my point though, about rust again in th- in these sports, you gotta be on your a game, man, every day, you know, no days off. Like
0: they say, and especially in combat sports. Exactly. That's why you can't you can't take two years off and expect to come back, or take a whole year off and come back to try to beat Khabib Nurmagomedov, who was the pound for pound king in the UFC. I mean, this dude was undefeated. He was dominating each and every fight. I think I don't think he, any of his fights had even gone to a decision. I may be wrong on that, but Conor took a year off, decided, hey, let me try to beat Khabib Nurmagomedov, and he got whooped. So uh, it just shows you that you can't take days off uh, when you're fighting in the UFC. You have to just go, go, go like that. And also, um, you know, like Tyler said, his gimmick is just getting old fast. Like I know uh, the trash talking was a lot of people loved it when he was winning. But now when you're not winning and you are going to places that are very, very low, then people are not going to like you. I mean, even fans booed him, or not a lot of fans, but some fans booed him when he was giving that speech that he gave post-fight. It's like, dude, just shut up and take your L.
1: As uh, the network writes in, saying that even fans were booing McGregor after his interview uh, while he was being stretchered out of the uh, out of the octagon uh, on Saturday night. Uh, also, James says Isaiah, but Alex Bregman likes when you talk trash, though. <sighs> Fair observation.
0: Can can we please delete that from the MI6? No, we uh,
1: uh, Christy Wilson says that McGregor's absolute trash. Uh, again, that's why I don't watch UFC because some of these guys and how they carry themselves. Uh, Tyler says, honestly, though, fellas, all the yelling and demanding, the uh, they announced it as a doctor's stoppage that McGregor did while he was laying there with a broken leg, was just sad and desperate. Isaiah?
0: I totally agree. I mean, this dude was getting his butt kicked um, the entire fight. Uh, Dustin Poirier was going to dominate him if he did not break his ankle. He dominated him in the second fight. He was going to dominate him in this last fight. And, you know, it was a lucky break from McGregor that, you know, this happened. And, you know, he did not get whooped even more because he was going to get whooped and Callan, you know, I think what also was sad and desperate was this dude like I've been pointing out many times, this dude just sitting there post-fight with a boot on his right ankle screaming profanity at Dustin Poirier and saying nasty stuff about Poirier's wife and how he's going to kill Poirier and all this stuff. Like, dude, just just be quiet and take your L, please.
1: Uh, do we think that if the ankle wasn't broken, the fight would have been ended in the second round?
0: I think probably because I think that, you know, McGregor was good the first 15 seconds. But then Dustin just took over that fight and was just battering him with elbows and punches. And he he was going to get knocked out. So if that ankle wasn't broken, he probably would be waking up either in a hospital right now and be like, what just happened?
1: Tyler also says that Dana doing anything to punish McGregor. Something tells me Dana won't do a single thing with three money or dollar symbols replacing his S's, which again, as goes to my point, though, money's in the bag. All right, let's go out there and I'll lose in the first round. I got paid.
0: Yep, that's Connor's attitude. I mean, he's kind of like a. A terrible version of Floyd Mayweather. Like Floyd goes into fights because he doesn't fight because he wants to fight. He fights just because to get paid. I mean that Logan Paul fight it was ridiculous. Uh, McGregor he does the same thing though except he loses.
1: And I believe Floyd made about fifty thousand uh, on his bet with uh, Poirier winning at Circa. And Come also, fight me, Floyd. and also, Casey says I'll watch Higgins one oh one over UFC, laughing out loud. Remember Isaiah, it is Huggies not Higgins. Uh, Tyler also says, uh, Isaiah to clarify that Khabib's fights had gone to a decision before, but he had never lost a round in his career. Impressive. Very,
0: very, yeah, very impressive. And, uh, you know, he retired on top as a champion.
1: Uh, Tyler also says, uh, lucky break from McGregor. Phrasing, my friend. Phrasing. Also, Tyler says, uh, historically though, McGregor is at, is at his best in round one. Poirier is at his worst in round one. So the fact that Poirier dominated the round did not bode well for the rest of the fight. Where again, you have one guy who's great in round one and one guy who's not great in round one.
0: Yeah, he was going to get knocked out, you know, maybe in round two. He was definitely going to get knocked out in round two.
1: But again, folks, as mentioned, Dustin Poirier over uh, Conor McGregor at the end of round one due to a doctor's, uh, doctor's stoppage after, again, McGregor snapped his right ankle. And again, the whole fiasco uh, transpiring after the fight had concluded on Saturday at UFC's event in Las Vegas. Uh, Isaiah, back to the NBA, buddy. Some big uh, coaching news in the NBA. That is, Jamal Mosley has been named the new head coach of the Orlando Magic for the upcoming 2021-2022 season. Certainly, Isaiah. Uh, I know that you were very high, uh, very high on Penny Hardaway, my dude. But certainly, though, I think though that Penny would pro- is, like uh, a lot of us were saying though, stay at Memphis for a little bit longer. You know, if you got that number one recruiting class coming in though. Don't bail on them right away, because I know that a lot of times, Isaiah, though, when coaches do, in fact, leave, though, those recruits go somewhere else. Because, again, well, my coach isn't there, so I'm going to go somewhere else. So, but certainly, Isaiah, uh, what do you believe, though, or what's your thoughts more about Jamal Mosley Jamal taking that head coaching position with the Orlando Magic for next season? Uh, thoughts and reaction are what?
0: Well, first of all, I want to give a shout out to my guy, Trevor Williams. I know he's a big Orlando Magic fan, so he has a new head coach, uh, which is great for him and his Orlando Magic. Uh, But about this hire, Callen, uh, I don't really know because I'm not really sure – about Jamal Mosley. You know, he hasn't been a head coach in the NBA. If it was an accomplished head coach, um, I would be able to judge him, but he hasn't done anything as a head coach in the NBA. So I can't really judge him as of right now, but I can say though, Callan, The reason why I listed out Mark Jackson, Juwan Howard, and Penny Hardaway as guys that I wanted uh, to take over the Orlando Magic was because I thought that they had the characteristics that I thought would fit the Magic really well. And those characteristics that I laid out was, I believe, three characteristics. Number one, the coach had to be able to develop young players because the Orlando Magic, they were about to undergo a really really long rebuild and you know you got to have a guy that can come in and develop the young draft picks that you draft for your ball club so he had to be able to develop young players um secondly i believe was a guy that was a great communicator and a guy that a coach that players would love to play for. And um, the third characteristic that I believe I laid out was a guy that would be a great teacher. And when you look at, you know, those three guys that I named, they had those three characteristics in them. And when you look at Jamal Mosley, I think that he has, you know, three, those three characteristics in him as well, because. Uh, Let's start off with number one, being a good teacher. This guy took over as the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Mavericks when Stephen Silas left to be the head coach of the Houston Rockets, I believe. And uh, the Dallas Mavericks, their offense did not miss a beat. You know, the Mavericks offense uh, was one of the top five or top ten in the entire NBA. So he definitely can coach the game of basketball. He's an astute basketball mind. He's got a great offensive repertoire, great offensive mind. So he can definitely teach offense and improve that Orlando magic offense. And then, you know, you go to number two, this guy had to be a great communicator and a coach that players would definitely love to play for. You know, Luka Doncic was clamoring hard for Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks organization to hire Jamal Mosley. He had a very great connection with Jamal Mosley, really wanted Mosley to be the next head coach of the uh, Dallas Mavericks. And it just shows you that players love playing for Jamal Mosley in Dallas. And he's a great communicator. And last but not least, you know, I said that uh, this guy had to be able to develop young players. Look at Luka Doncic. I know he was already kind of developed, but you know he's still developed Luka Doncic into the star that he was today. I know Rick Carlisle had a big hand as well, but Jamal Mosley was the guy that was kind of uh, the mentor to Luka Doncic while he was in Dallas. Uh, Also, you look at Dwight Powell, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, other guys, all the Mavericks that have blossomed from young players to good role players that, that they are right now, and they have developed really well under the tutelage of Jamal Mosley while he was in Dallas. So I think that this guy uh, exemplifies the three qualities that I really wanted in the Magic Knicks head coach. And I think he will do well in Orlando. But my only question mark is how he's going to do moving up one chair. Because you looked at guys like Lloyd Pierce, former coach of the Atlanta Hawks, who was a good assistant coach he had all the qualities to be a good head coach but it didn't work out well when he moved over to the big chair so that's my only question uh regarding this hire of jamal mosley
1: isaiah i share your sentiments as well uh looking over some stats as well isaiah is that the in the last five years isaiah the magic have not qualified for the playoffs three year or three times out of the last five years uh, 16, 17, They went twenty-nine and fifty-three. Seventeen, eighteen. They went twenty-five and fifty-seven. Then they got into the playoffs back-to-back years. Eighteen, nineteen. They went forty-two and forty and won the division championship that year. Lost the four games to one to Toronto. Nineteen, twenty in the pandemic-shortened seventy-three game season. They were 33, uh, 33 and forty. One, uh, were were in second place that were knocked out by the Buckstone round one. And then last season, Isaiah, in 72 games, they went 21 and 51 and were dead last in the Southeast Division. So, Isaiah, in your mind, what would be a successful season for Orlando, minus the, minus the playoff Because I think it's a long ways away, though, but Isaiah, what in your mind would be a respectable or maybe successful year for Jamal Mosley in, in year one? Is it maybe. You know, getting that win total up—is it getting, you know, getting to 500, getting over 500, maybe being close to the playoff spot? But again, you know, they've missed the playoffs, man, three times in the last five seasons. In all three of those years, though, they won less than 30 games when they, in fact, did not make the postseason.
0: Callen, how many wins did the Magic have this this past year? They went
1: 21 and 51. They were 30 games below 500 and dead last in their division.
0: I would say get to – I would say probably get to like 20 at like the same pace that you had this year because, you know, this year's team that is different from last year's team is missing Aaron Gordon. They're missing Nikola Vucevic. They're missing Evan Fournier as well. They, so They
1: basically had a fire sale last season, yes. Yeah.
0: They had a fire sale. So this is going to be a completely different Orlando Magic team. And if they can get like 20 wins, I think it would be a successful first year for Jamal Mosley. But I don't think you can look at the win column to judge Jamal Mosley. I think you have to look at like all-rookie team and second all-rookie team and stuff like that. That's how you're going to judge Jamal Mosley. It's about how these young players that they draft or they, you know, get – whether it's via trade or free agency, how these guys are gonna be developing under the tutelage of Jamal Mosley. I think
1: for Orlando to have a respectable season, they've got to win 30 games. So I think if they win 30 games, they may have a shot because of how bad the bottom part of the Eastern Conference is. You may you could sneak in like they did in 2019-2020 when they won 33 games and they got in. They lost to Milwaukee, but again, Isaiah, with how depleted that eastern conference has been though minus milwaukee and minus miami and you know teams that you know have been up there the, the, the sixers and the nets you know those those four teams it's basically open season minus the four minus the top four spots i mean you could get in there maybe with a 33 and 40 record or get in with a 42 and 40 record so i think for me though maybe wins don't come in premium though but i would think though that for me to be to at least you know like like respectable year win at least 30 games. That's all, that's, all, that's all I would say for this year for Orlando is win, at least win 30.
0: And also if the Magic want to, you know, get to your 30 win total, Callen, I would call up Cleveland and trade for Colin Sexton because there's another guy who is young, you can build your franchise around, you know, and put him as part of your young core.
1: I do think Cole Anthony has upside. I think that some of those guys have upside. But now it's a matter, though, of, you know, maybe a star, maybe a, you know, maybe middle to road or like, you know, notable name, you know, not necessarily a journeyman, but certainly that they need all that they can get down there at this rate. Uh, Casey says hard to judge the uh, hire right now by Orlando. Still can't believe, though, fellas, that Mark Jan- that Mark Jackson has not gotten hired yet by another ball club. I think Isaiah at this rate. I think he's pretty content being a broadcaster, honestly.
0: I agree. I mean, I, I don't think he even got any interviews this cycle to be a head coach. And I don't think he's even, I think he might only have gotten like four or five interviews ever since he got fired by Golden State. So I don't know what's going on, man, but Mark Jackson, he definitely deserves to be an NBA coach again. And the fact that he's getting blackmailed by the NBA, it's utterly ridiculous.
1: Shout out Brandon Herrera, who's tuning in from Minnesota today. Uh, What's up, uh, B? Good to see you as well. My good man, James uh, Gonzalez. Though Isaiah Wright. let's be real though, gents. Doesn't matter who the coach is; they don't have the talent right now to win anytime soon. Fair observation.
0: Callen, maybe they can sign you when you go to Orlando. Maybe they can sign you to a one-year deal and poach you away.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I thought about buying a Shaq jersey to wear to Orlando, but uh, there, there's nothing to show off here, sadly. So I'm gonna be wearing <laughs> shirts the whole time I'm there. Maybe bring <laughs> one just to just to have with me, and also. Uh, Brandon says, uh, Brandon agrees with me. The Magic need to win at least 30 games next season. 30 plus. I'm saying at least 30.
0: I'll say 25, but I'm counting on, you know, the rookies making progress.
1: So in in your perfect world, they would go 25 and, let's see, that's, you know, some quick map, 25 and maybe 52, 53 something
0: like that, but I would be more keeping track on the uh, all-rookie team and stuff like that to see how the rookies do.
1: Maybe they'll be in the Rising Stars game for the All-Star game. Who knows? Uh, Brandon's asking who's on Isaiah's shirt. Dustin Poirier is on his shirt tonight. James also says the long and winding process still going on in Orlando after a few playoff seasons seems like a theme in the Magic's history. Again, this uh, three times in the last five years that the Magic have not made the postseason. And Brandon also asks, what is the latest I'm the Spurs assistant coach with Becky Hammond. Nothing new yet, but we will keep an eye on that, though, Brandon, and hopefully bring you more on Monday or over the course of the week. But we'll see, though, what Becky Hammond and the Spurs do, in fact, choose to do. With that, Isaiah, bad break for the Phils today, man, as uh, sadly a minor COVID, break is, uh, COVID outbreak has uh, gone amongst the ball club as three players, including Alec Bohm, have all tested positive for COVID. The only, I think, Isaiah blessing in disguise here It happens
0: during the All-Star break, my man. <sighs> Callan, it sucks that my camera is glitching right now because, you know, my reaction would have been legendary about this segment. But let me say this. Why, why, why do the baseball gods hate my Philadelphia Phillies? What did my Phillies do to make the baseball gods hate my Phillies. I don't understand, Calvin. I think you might want to put the shades on because, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna love what I'm about to say, but I don't understand this. I really don't. Every time something good happens to my Phillies, all of a sudden, something Bad immediately happens to my Philadelphia Phillies. Like, what did we do to upset the baseball gods? I don't understand, Callan. I mean, the Phillies, they were on a roll. They had been your San Diego Padres. They took two out of three from your Padres in Philadelphia. That was only
1: because we had to deal with rain delays all week, and we don't have rain delays out here in Southern California. So you got lucky.
0: Yes, we got lucky, but still it's a series win for the Phil. They took two out of three and then they went into Wrigley.
1: I'm blaming it on the rain. You don't get any credit for winning that series.
0: <laughs> and they also that they took three out of four from the Chicago Cubs in Wrigley. So they I believe they had taken I'm trying to do the math here. Uh they had taken I'm bad at math, but they had taken five out of the Seven games on this road trip. And then they go into Boston, into Fenway Park, very tough place to play against one of the best teams in all of baseball, the Boston Red Sox. And they took two out of three from the Boston Red Sox, including and probably taking this bullpen game today because the Phillies have one of the worst bullpens in all of baseball. And somehow, some way, they managed to squeak out a victory with their bullpen pitching the entire game today. And they had taken seven out of 10. Um, to end the first half of the season, and the Phillies were rolling to have the easy, one of the easiest schedules in all of baseball in the second half, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, the Philly season is back, the Philly season has been revived, they're going to steal the NL East because Acuna's hurt from the Braves, uh, the Mets, I don't know, they've been inconsistent all year long, the Marlins are a mess. The Phillies are going to win this division, and then hours after the Phillies beat the Red Sox, and I'm out here celebrating the Phillies' win and you know, gloating to Callen about how the Phillies' season has been revived. This news comes down. Alec Boehm tests positive for COVID-19. We don't know how long he's going to be out. He could be out. uh, He's going to be out a minimum of 10 days, so that's going to be until after the All-Star break, a couple of games after as well. And he probably... Could miss, uh, you know, couple or a couple couple of weeks after the All Star break. That's a huge blow because you know, like I said, Alec Boehm was getting red hot. Um, he was a guy that you know I thought could be the future face of baseball, but that's a different story for a different day. But that's a big blow not having him in the starting lineup. And then you have Aaron Nola, one of the aces of the Phillies. He's on COVID protocol. Who knows if he's test uh, tested positive for COVID 19. He could miss, you know, a couple of weeks after the All Star break. And then Connor Brogdon, Bailey Falter, who got placed on the COVID protocol as well, who knows if they have tested positive for the coronavirus. Those two guys were two of the best arms in that Phillies bullpen, which is already very weak. And now you take out two of the best arms in the Phillies bullpen. This is a huge blow for the Philadelphia Phillies, Callan, and it's a bad break for this team because I thought they were going to go on a roll uh, as we start the second half and continue what they did, enter or ending the first half on a very, very high note. Why do the baseball gods hate my Phillies, Callen? I I don't know. It's like the Phillies have a black cloud over Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia.
1: How many times are you, are you gonna change your your player of who's gonna beat out Fernando Tatis Jr. as the face of baseball? You you can't be changing every day, sir. It's 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 not gonna be Murphy, not gonna be Bohm, because this guy Fernando Tatis Jr. is you know is the guy. Like literally, no one is literally as I hate to say, but literally nobody out there, a casual baseball fan or someone getting into the game, they they don't care about Sean Murphy. They don't care about Alec Bohm. Todd Sr. is on every other highlight you see, every commercial spot, every radio, every radio commercial, and every major league baseball advertisement. It's just stop, surrender. It's over. It's not happening anytime soon. Plenty of thoughts though. At this rate, uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon says, "OMG, Isaiah with a uh, on a rant for one of his thirty-plus teams. He claims to be a fan of Tyler. Thank you. Rain delays. Never heard of them." Fans of the Angels, Padres, and Dodgers. You quit shaking your head, sir, because you root for Oakland and you get rain up there every other week, basically. And Philadelphia only won because we had to deal with rain delays that entire road trip, so you keep your trap shut. Speaking of injuries, sadly, but first and foremost, Casey King first says uh, that, that uh, he says that uh, my Dodgers need another starter and another reliever. Can't be having bullpen games every other day. Don't like bullpen games. They have had way too many in the first half. Speaking of bullpen days, the San Diego Padres and their uh, amazingly great. Um, first half of the season comes to an end as they uh, win 50 plus games for the first time since 1998. I feel like I've said that plenty of times in my uh, life since 1998 with the Padres. But sadly, though, folks at the uh, starting rotation has sadly been bitten by the injury bug in a huge way. You Darvish, you uh, Darvish earlier on Sunday placed on the IL. There was some uh, dealing with some left hip inflammation, Blake Snell dealing with a stomach issue. And then, sadly, folks, today in a very scary play that happened today at Petco Park, Ryan Weathers, uh, sadly, uh, went for to field a bunt today against Colorado and, uh, collided with John Gray, the pitcher, and appeared to perhaps, uh, not confirm yet, but apparently did some pretty, uh, severe damage to his right knee, uh, in a collision with John Gray. Plus, also, again, Joe Musgrove has been very, uh, you know, up and down though since that no hitter, but he's still been very, very reliable. And of course, Chris Paddock has had his uh, has had his issues. It was actually brought in, brought in as a reliever today for the first time uh, first time in his career. And he uh, gave up a, a game tying homer to C.J. Chrome in the top half of the uh, fifth inning at Petco today. So certainly Isaiah, the Phils have one issue, or uh, the Phils have their own issue, uh, have their own issues though. But Isaiah, the Padres have issues, man, and it's all in the rotation with uh, four of their five starters or three of their five starters all out with injury. But certainly though, Isaiah. My concern more so though, man, is for Ryan Weathers, a great kid right now on a uh, innings limit right now, much like Paddock was in 2019, but certainly though Isaiah, I was at the game at Petco. It did not look very good in person. Uh, Thankfully, no replays were shown though, but it looked like it was a very freak like knee on knee collision though, but with how Ryan had planted his leg though, it looked like it was in a very vulnerable spot though. And I certainly hope it's not a torn ACL though, but my gut tells me it probably is. though. But certainly Isaiah, your thoughts more so as this pottery's rotation who for the most part, it looked great though, man. But again, though, though, uh, those injuries still coming, but again, though, at the same time, they'll maybe at a good time with the all-star break uh, coming up and upon us right now.
0: Callan, I think me and you might be the most unluckiest sports fans on the planet. Isaiah, all your teams have won
1: a championship. I haven't won one since 1963. Enough. Get on track.
0: Hey, maybe your bears can win the Super Bowl this year, but, uh, I hardly watch the NFL. (laughs) About the Padres, you know, it's a bad break for them because Darvish was pitching extremely well. He was an all-star. Blake Snell, he had struggled for the first part of the season, and I feel like he was turning it around, and then he gets hurt. I think that was – what was the Snell injury, Callum? Was it a shoulder or an elbow? No, uh, uh, gastral issues, a stomach stomach bug. Oh, Oh, so that's that's not that bad then. Uh, It's not like he's going to, you know, miss – a bunch of time, but, uh, it's, it's the all-star break is coming at a great time for the Padres and for all the baseball, because, you know, you've seen so many injuries in the final week or even the final weekend of the season that just makes you go like, man, it, it just really sucks. Like the Braves with Acuna and the Padres with Darvish and Snell and, you know, my Phillies with, you know, all the COVID issues. So we'll give teams, you know, a period to reset and refresh. And I think it'll be good for them because I don't, I think Darvish will be back after the all-star break. I think snail will definitely be back after the all-star break. You know, weathers were pre- praying for him. Uh hope it's hope it's not a torn ACL because if it is, it's definitely, it's going to really, really suck. So I think this all-star break is really definitely hitting at a really good time for a majority of these teams in Major League Baseball. And I think the Padres, uh, they cannot they cannot afford to lose Darvish. They cannot afford to lose Snell uh, in the rotation because if you're going to have to bank on Paddock or um, I think they already lost to Nelson LeMet to an elbow injury um, and also uh, who else? Oh, Musgrove as well. Musgrove has been kind of inconsistent since the no-hitter, but he's been you know very reliable, like you said, but that those two guys are the top horses of that rotation and you need them, especially like if you want to go into October and have a chance to win a world series and bring, you know, a world series for the first time back to San Diego. I mean, certainly, you know, the break
1: comes at a great time for everybody out there. Uh, certainly, you know, with uh, injuries, but certainly, I think though for the race sake though, again, losing another starter again with lament on the shelf, uh, Keone kella has been out for majority of the year. I think he's undergoing Tommy John You know that more so with the Padres, it's been the pitching who has been taking the brunt end of the uh, injury bug, sadly over the course of this year though. But certainly I do think though, that I think though Isaiah that there, there there's two areas right now that the Padres need to probably look at not an ace, you know, not a Scherzer, but, but a, you know, late, you know, someone like fourth or fifth starter middle of the road, you know, starter to kind of maybe I think move Paddock out of the rotation. I think though that Paddock to me, Minus his home run that he gave up to Crone today on Sunday, he looked pretty good. You know, like like more relaxed as a reliever. That one two innings he did, in fact, throw. Minus that one little hiccup with that home run, though. Yeah, it ended up uh, you know, tying the game though. But certainly I think though, Isaiah, that the two main areas for the Padre's sake right now for me is in fact, um, you know, one more starter in the back end of the rotation and maybe a power hitting bat off the bench I've heard a lot of rumblings of Joey Gallo with the Rangers uh other than that not too many other guys have been named though but certainly I say uh are those probably the two main priorities you would think for San Diego is you know maybe one more not an ace but at least one more bona fide starter in the rotation and maybe one more bat off the bench perhaps to kind of add some more depth to the uh, to the actual uh, batting lineup in order
0: yeah, I think, I think so. You know, when you look at the rotation, I really don't know Callen, who is out there when it comes to fourth or fifth starters that you could add, you know, the Cubs, I think they're going to have a fire sale because, um, and Callen, uh, unfortunately I accidentally jinxed the Cubs when a couple of weeks ago, they were in first place. I said, I needed the Cubs tank for the next four weeks so that my A's could get like a bunch of those guys from the Cubbies. And they went on a I believe a 15 game losing streak or something like that. Really, really bad, and now it looks like they're they are going to have a fire sale. So, um, you know, I think you and Talent don't don't laugh at me about this suggestion. Uh, but what do you think about Jake Arrieta? I know he has struggled. He struggled in Philly last year. Uh, he has struggled with the Cubs. I think his ERA has ballooned to like six point something. But he's been mostly bit by the home run ball. And I think that if you get him out of Wrigley, if you put him in a a pitcher's friendly ballpark at Petco Park, I think he could maybe not go back to the Jake Arrieta that won the Cy Young, but go to a decent fourth starter or a fifth starter for your Padres. I
1: I would probably keep tabs on Arrieta. I know that one guy that's kind of been in my mind has been Jose uh, Jose Barrios of Minnesota. Uh, he's kind of been a guy, I think, who's probably being shot by the Twins right now. I know the Padres may have also had some interest in Chris Bryant, maybe, USD alum, uh, again, but I think that Bryant will be on the market, Baez will be on the market uh, from Chicago, maybe Hayward, maybe Rizzo, who knows. And then they may, in fact, break up that entire 2016 core, though I would hate to see that, though, again, with how those guys have been, you know, so... Well received in Chicago on the north side, certainly. But I think that maybe Jose Bar- uh, Barrios, maybe Arrieta, uh, you know, maybe someone else out there. You know, maybe a John Gray, you know, who in fact threw for the uh, Rockies on Sunday against the Padres. You know that the Rockies, you know, have their questions of Shurs of an, of Trevor Story and uh, Charlie Blackman and and guys like that. So I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, w- what happens with that. But certainly, uh, it, we will in fact keep tabs on that. Though plenty of thoughts so at this rate. Uh, first Casey's asking me, Callum, do you believe that announcers will begin uh, will begin to travel uh, in the second half of the season? I see Milwaukee, the White Sox, the Reds, and Pirates are in fact traveling. It's ridiculous that they cannot travel. Um, judging from what I have seen from Jesse Agler, the Padres radio voice on KWFN 97.3, the fan here in San Diego, he's still holding out hope that it can be this season. I would probably think next year is probably more logical for that. But I think, though, I think just, you know, slowly but surely, I think, though, but certainly I do think that things will in fact go on. And James also says it was a bad weekend for sports injuries. And Casey also says, your ducks to win the cup in 07. I agree. But Casey, I'm talking about San Diego. I, you know, I have, I'm like, I say, I have a bunch of teams across the board in a variety of sports, but I'm talking, you know, San Diego for a team I don't work for, you know, essentially, and you know, the Padres are that, of that one team that I have left and, Casey says he hopes that the Dodgers can get Kyle Hendricks from the Cubs. He might be the only guy, Isaiah, who's probably off limits from the Cubs in my mind.
0: I think everybody also on the Cubs is definitely on the board. Because when you look at, and Callan, you know, I've read you the list of free agents from the Cubs after this season. It's Baez, Rizzo, Brian, um, I believe, Kimbrough, Arietta, uh, basically their retired team. Their entire core. I think Wilson Contreras is also a free agent after this season. So the Cubs, they have to do a fire sale. And especially where they are right now after undergoing a 15-game losing streak. I think they're fourth in the NL Central. You got to get stuff back right now for uh, the remainders of your core. So it's going to be sad for them to to see them go. But they got to do it because they can't be like the Giants. Remember when Madison Bumgarner and all these other guys, they were about to be free agents. They went on this run and then foolishly did not trade them and then let Bumgarner walk to the Arizona Diamondbacks and got nothing in return. So they got to replenish that farm system.
1: Sadly, Isaiah, I think that kind of falls a little bit on the Cubs front office. I mean, Theo Epstein leaves and Jed Hoyer takes over. Man, how about a free fall for the Cubs, right?
0: Yeah, definitely, man. And I also wanted to, um, you know, respond to your point, Callen, about how uh, your teams in San Diego have not won a championship. This is exactly why last year or last winter, when the 49ers were deliberating about moving to either San Diego or Arizona, I said they should move to San Diego. So not only do you and me get to root for the same football team, but, you know, if the 49ers won the Super Bowl, you could have technically claimed that the San Diego 49ers won and we would have been able to share a Lombardi trophy.
1: Sadly, I don't think the stadium was, I think I, it was still there, but I think it wasn't like doable, sadly, for some reason, but uh, maybe. I, I still try to block out the 94 Super Bowl still, just just because it was in San Diego and I admire and still love Junior out to this day. Uh, with that, Isaiah, one other big baseball story. You now we're well past the midnight hour here on this now Monday morning. But, Isaiah, some reports, though, certainly landing courtesy of our good man, Loro Antonio. Baseball is considering bringing back nine inning doubleheaders in 2022. Of course, we know that, of course, I say that we are right now at a major crossroads right now with baseball with a potential lockout next season. But, certainly, Isaiah, with this news coming out, though, does this change your thought about a lockout for me? Uh, cool that we're going to be playing nine inning doubleheaders again, but at the same time, what have you done for me lately, Mr. Manfred?
0: I I don't really care about like either seven inning double headers or nine inning double headers. I just hate the rule of you know the the runner st- starts at second base to start that uh that extra, extra inning. Like I hate that rule. I really. Don't believe like I'm one of those old school fans that believe that you have to earn your points. You have to earn your runs. And I'm one of those old school baseball fans. that love, you know, the game kind of dragging on because especially because I work there for the A. So it gives me a bigger paycheck. But uh, besides that, you know, I just think, you know, teams should earn their runs. And I don't think they should be given an extra, you know, a freebie to start out in the extra innings because, you know, like you've seen Cal a lot of the times when the guy starts at second base, they mo- most definitely is able to go back to or to go home either, you know, they the, the team bunts them to third and then, you know, they get a sack fly or a ground out to bring them home. So I, I, I just really don't like that route.
1: Isaiah, my thought process on this, and, and, and I've been a very big believer in this, and, and I know that baseball, you know, they've had their issues. There, you know, there could be a lockout next season. But, Isaiah, like I have said, though, man, since 2020, um, is that for, and I've been thinking about this in my head, though, for, you know, majority of, of last year into this year in this baseball season. Is what I think though is bound to happen, and, and I don't know if this is going to go well with you know with with maybe you or other baseball fans, but certainly though, I think Isaiah, that like like I've said though, ma'am, if baseball is still hungry for your money, you know, the Padre hashtag this year is hungry for more. But I think if baseball is hungry for more money, I think that baseball is gonna revert back to a 1990s era schedule of where you play a double header every month, essentially, uh just to get rid of or get more people to come to ball games because, you know, James even said it though a while back on the Sports Lounge. You know that baseball has found a way to reinvent itself and re and you know and re innovate the game. And Isaiah, you know, my my I talked to my parents about the about the good old days every damn day basically. You know they were at Tony Gwynn's 2000th hit game at Qualcomm or at Jack Murphy Stadium. That was not game two a doubleheader, buddy. That began at 8:45 in the evening. You know, you, they played game one at five o'clock. They played game two at 8:45 that night. And I remember as a kid, uh, you know, going to games at Qualcomm on a Sunday, you'd get two games, or a Saturday, you get two games. And then I think, though, that I only think about this because in August, when I get back from Florida, the Padres play my American League franchise up in Anaheim, California, the Angels, in a two-game series. Friday, Saturday, off day, Sunday. That right there took me back to being, you know, 23 years younger In '98, Isaiah, when the Padres would play, for example, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Montreal, you know, teams that would have bad weather in April or May, and they would play, you know, one game on Friday, and then play a doubleheader on Saturday, or they would play Friday, Saturday single games, and then play two games on Sunday, or the very, you know, rare Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday four game series. So Isaiah, do you believe though that maybe that if baseball with this you know uh, report coming out that they're going to go back to go back to regular nine inning double headers? Could could baseball perhaps in your mind Isaiah perhaps tweak the schedule to allow teams to play double headers? And I and I've been a firm believer in this as well Isaiah, especially in April and in May. Even as we saw though with the Padres in in uh, in Cincinnati and in Philadelphia, if the weather gets out of control, man. I think you just have to say, you know what? If we can't get in the game, just play just play a doubleheader. I think that's what I think, Isaiah. That more so for me is I think what could, what I think, though, could help re-innovate baseball is going into, you know, mainly I think, though, man, in April and then May, maybe in September when the weather does, in fact, changing out of control, though, that doubleheaders have to be at a premium, I think come, you know, maybe next season, but your thoughts more so about my uh, ludicrous thoughts on perhaps scheduled tweaks to allow double dips to be played.
0: Well, first of all, Callan, um, you know, we here in the Bay area and also fans of East coast teams, we love rain delays because they alter results of games. What exactly is a rain delay? I live in San Diego.
1: and We don't deal with them every, every day. So can you like catch up to speed about what a rain delay is, please? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, it's when, uh, the rain is falling and you can't start a ball game, but, uh, about, you know, the, the tweaks of the schedule, I could see it. I really could, but I don't know if the players would agree to it, honestly, because they would be very taxing the on their body. Right. Yeah. It would it would be very taxing on their body having to play. Like, let's say a double hitter starts at one and then the game like lasts like. God forbid, four hours. And then you're playing, what, an hour later at six or seven? And then that game lasts like three or four hours. So uh, that's like an eight, nine-hour day on the baseball field. So I, I just don't think the players would agree to it because I think it would be too taxing on their bodies. And it will be College- taxing for the bullpens, too.
1: College kids do it every weekend. What's the big deal? Uh, plenty of thoughts here uh, on says Plenty of more thoughts, Trickle-in. Uh, first, James wanted to update us as well, Isaiah. The Potters were encouraged by the results of Ryan Weathers' MRI today. The earlier hope or early hope is he can come back early next month. So that's very, very good to hear. I'll wipe the brow and inhale, exhale about uh, Ryan Weathers. He's got major upside. I think he'll be on an innings limit this year, sadly, just to kind of keep his arm in shape. But I'm very glad to hear that news on this now Monday morning here. Uh, Casey says, but I'm still not sure though, fellas, if we'll, have, if we'll avoid a lockout as I don't trust Manfred, a.k.a.
0: Man fraud. Agreed. I don't either. I think we're going to have a lockout in 2022. I think it's inevitable. I just think that, you know, like I've been telling people, the owners, the players, they can't even agree to uh, agree to what to eat for lunch, let alone create a whole collective bargaining agreement. So it's it's impossible. I just think that, like, we're definitely going to have a lockout. Um, that's why I've been telling folks, you know, this enjoy this season because this is probably the last year of baseball you're going to have for the next two years.
1: James also says, "Don't mind the runner on second base rule. Games aren't going 15 innings plus ever since." Fair, and we know, of course, Isaiah. What's ma- what's Manfred's favorite excuse? Say it with me, buddy. Pace, <laughs> pace, of play. What? James also says, I'm guessing Universal DH, and I love double headers. I, for one, don't want the Universal DH because I have a very cool clip to show you before we get to bloopers of the week here in just a moment. Casey also says double headers need to start at 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock. James, to his point earlier, ain't no way that players will agree to it, though, because of the uh, taxing in the bodies. James says, though, and he's got a great point, though, Isaiah, all opening week games must be in better weather cities, west coast or retractable roof ballparks. I concur.
0: Yes, I agree. But uh, you know, here in Oakland, I mean, we don't get rain as well. So uh, it's—I mean, it's cold, but <laughs> it doesn't really affect the game. But yeah, I agree. These—I uh, mean, remember the Tigers played in snow, Callen? Literally, like in flurries
1: against the Royals, I believe to start the year. Tyler Work also says, "What is rain?" Southern Californians. James also says, "It never rains in Southern California." James also says I wouldn't mine 7 inning double headers. Now if they do 7 inning double headers, I'm even I'm totally fine with that as well.
0: I would be fine with the 7 inning double headers, double headers with no uh runner at second to start the extra innings. I think that would be better for the sport and it would speed I feel like it would speed the game faster and make, you know, the you know the new school baseball fans and also the old school baseball fans happy as well.
1: I definitely agree. But again, folks, see what happens. But once more, everybody, again, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, perhaps considering bringing back uh, nine inning doubleheaders, effective for the potential 2022 season. With that, folks, it is not Saturday. It is now Monday morning uh, at the time of this podcast. But I do, folks, want to share probably the greatest clip of all time before we get to our bloopers of the week, though. This magical moment coming courtesy of my hometown Padres on. Uh, Thursday against Washington. Enjoy. Camarena to deep right field.
0: Camarena plays in San Diego. Are you kidding me? The Padres pitcher that he's brought up from El Paso, the San Diego kid, to a grand slam. That's unbelievable. Back
1: that folks was Padres relief pitcher and San Diego native Daniel Camarena becoming the first relief pitcher since 1898 to hit a grand slam in his uh in it, for his first major league hit. And Isaiah, you know, it's such a cool story though because Daniel has been, you know, to hell and back, basically, in his baseball career, man. And it's a very great story, though. You know, he he uh, went to the Yankees. He was drafted to, to New York at a Cathedral Catholic uh, high school here in San Diego. And Daniel would literally get called up to the big club, but never pitch. He'd be called up to fill a roster spot and sent back to AAA. And he was out of baseball for a bit, came back here. Uh, you know, he worked out at my dad's uh, rec center when he was still working for the city here. And so my dad got to know Daniel a little bit when he was – uh, working with one of my former teammates, Ian Clark, who's now in the Rockies organization in A Albuquerque. And Daniel had got signed to a contract, and we saw him make his major league debut against the Reds about two or three weeks ago when they played Cincinnati here Father's Day weekend. And I was actually working the high school showcase that day, and my phone notified me that he had hit a grand slam. I was like, what on earth just happened? And above all as well, Isaiah, this wasn't no cheap home run. This was, you know, deep to right field, well over the wall, 416 feet, and it's off Max Scherzer on a fastball at his ankles. And you saw the reaction, books by the way, of his brother, Louie. Uh, Daniel's father sadly passed away a couple years ago, and it was a great moment for his family and certainly, uh, Isaiah, a moment, though, that helped spark the Padres' third-ever comeback in club history from them being down 8 nothing in a ballgame, too.
0: First off, that was the final pitch that Max Scherzer threw in a Nationals uniform um in the national league as well because come after the all-star break he will be rocking talk about the home run he's not going to oakland talk about
1: another slam for slam diego please
0: <laughs> but uh, about the the grand slam by daniel we're just gonna call him daniel because i can't pronounce his daniel last name cam arena cam arena daniel- Daniel Camarena. There we go. I I didn't want to butcher it live on air and make myself look like a total fool, but uh, it was impressive. You know, it was – I mean, that that pitch was so far out of the zone that I think the only person that could have gotten that and hit a home run or a grand slam was Pablo Sandoval because he was one of the most cl- – or he was one of the best low ball hitters I've ever seen in my life watching – uh, professional baseball. So that was very, very impressive. And for him to be a pitcher and to do that and to hit the ball when it's that low for a grand slam, really, really impressive stuff.
1: And Isaiah, this is why I don't want a universal DH in Major League Baseball because you'll you will never see that moment ever again with a universal oh, DH, my friend.
0: I, I don't want it too because, you know, when the A's go to play the National League, we got to free out in uh, the pitcher, unfortunately.
1: Uh, James Gonzalez writes an unbelievable, and Tyler has a better one than uh, Pablo Sandoval. That pitch was so far below the zone. Vlad Guerrero Sr., one of the, one of the other great low ball hitters of all time, would have swung at that. And I think he'd be proud though of, of Daniel dropping the head there, and uh, certainly a great moment. And again, you know, I, I had a laugh though before we get to Bluebirds of the Week here. I was, I had a laugh though. I was listening to uh, talk radio here in San Diego. Uh, someone said that the Padres just have to go on and get every single local kid and put him on the roster because we've had Joe Musgrove, former teammate of mine, Grossmont High School in San Diego throw the first no hitter in club history. And Daniel Camarena, Cathedral Catholic High, Benina uh, Benina resident, uh, hit a grand slam as a relief pitcher. So like, let's just bring all the kids home and let them join the roster.
0: Definitely. I was going to mention that before uh, I got sidetracked with my Max Scherzer rant, but yeah, definitely bring all the kids home that used to play in San Diego. Put Chris Bryan in a Cubs uniform right now, and he will hit like at least 50 bombs.
1: Uh, Casey agrees. No DH. And James says Cole Hamels, San Diego native, is a free agent. I think the Padres will have interest in him as well. We'll see how things go. At this rate, of course. Uh, Cole, RB, high school played against my brother when he was in high school. But of course, folks, it is now time, finally, for the bloopers of the week as we approach the one o'clock hour on this lengthy night shift that we've we, after we've been away for a few days here at this point in time uh, here. But with that, a couple of bloopers here to end the uh, start the week on a high note. First up, so close, yet so far. Oh my God, You know, I always enjoy Benihana, but I would not, I would hope that that would not happen at my hibachi, please.
0: First of all, I'm actually glad the guy didn't suffer a serious neck injury because, you know, falling out of a chair at that height, yikes, Uh, and falling backwards too, that just looked scary, but uh, yeah, you know, I've actually honestly wanted to go to one of these restaurants and try, like, you know, the guy, you know, put Takes a shrimp and just like flips it up in the air, and you have to try to catch it. I've always wanted to try it, never had a chance, but after seeing that, uh, you know, I I don't know if I want to do it, Cal. And I don't know if I want to do it. Just tell the guy, just
1: tell your chef, don't throw it in the air, just put it on my plate, Uh, Tyler. uh, Tyler says credit to the guy though; he laid out for it. Hey, A for effort. I'll give him that.
0: A baseball team should sign him. I mean, why not? Because the guy lays out. I mean, uh, Air Bud
1: would probably be wanting him to uh, to speak to this guy. Uh, next up, Reese has some peanut butter fingers.
0: Segura was one of the hottest hitters in the league. Bobbled. Bobbled again.
1: Yeah, you know, Isaiah, I played first. Worst feeling ever, my man, believe me.
0: This has been the Phillies defense this entire year, Callan. This is why the Philadelphia Phillies lead all of baseball in errors and why Joe Girardi got frustrated after one of the games and started, you know, just talking crap to Gene Segura and, you know. They had that Gene big Segura. blow up, yeah. Yeah, it's because of that. It's because you can't make rude. Like, I know, like, these things happen. Sometimes it happens when you just are so focused and then you drop the ball, but... Come on, man. Like, this isn't the first time. I mean, Reese Hoskins, he was used to be a very dependable defender at first base. And for some reason, ever since he just got switched to the outfield and came back, it just seems like he's dropping everything and it's not a sure. Play or sure thing at first base, that he's either catching throws from the third baseman or he's uh, dropping balls that are thrown to him. Like it's, it's ridiculous, man.
1: I mean, between the Padres and Phillies making errors, I man. The Padres had three more errors on Sunday, none by Todd Schiener though, but Machado made an error, and Cronenworth had two errors in that game. Sadly, on Sunday, and one of them happened to bring in that backbreaking run that made it three to one Colorado in the uh, top half of the uh, seventh inning, I believe, or eighth inning at Petco. Last but not least, Isaiah, don't play in the house. Isaiah, what's the one golden rule you are always
0: told? Don't play sports in the house.
1: How many times have you broken something when you were growing up playing in the uh, playing playing uh, something in the house when you weren't supposed to be?
0: Not even growing up. I mean, I did something stupid when I was twenty-two years old, just like couple months ago when I was playing around trying to imitate a player for the A's or a player in baseball and I had my computer literally like right here or no right here I was over there standing and I was trying to film myself and I don't know if you remember this Callan but I swung and it smashed uh one of my computers or one of my laptops
1: yeah I think I broke <laughs> I, think I broke a couple of um Uh, I I broke some like vase playing wiffle ball in the house. I was playing with with a Nerf ball though, but I just happened to hit it, you know, hard enough to, you know, make it wobble and fall over and shatter. So uh, I actually even broke a bedroom window actually when I was younger too, playing in the backyard, uh, fouled the pitch off and it was a baseball. I was like five or six at the time, sadly, but shattered my, uh, Bedroom window, so there was a nice little uh, hole right there. So we had to bring, you know, bring the glass company out and uh, put the new window in. So uh, certainly, I know you're at fault there. Uh, with that in mind, but now, folks, we'll now transition and wrap things up finally at close to 12:30 in the morning on a Monday, and go into our final thoughts. Time to wrap up shop here, folks, on this now Monday morning edition of the Night Shift. Again, uh, big plays, big games, and big news of the day. But Isaiah, before we get to final thoughts, though, man, I am, though, still sitting on that trivia question, though, from earlier on Sunday. Can you tell me, sir, why is the convenience store Seven Eleven called Seven Eleven?
0: Well, I've always thought of why it's called 7-Eleven as, you know, maybe the first... The first – man, and the last time I did one of these things or tried to guess, it turned – I turned into a meme. So I have a feeling it might be the same thing, but I've always thought of maybe the first 7-Eleven was founded or it was called 7-Eleven. was because maybe it was, it was opened on 11th and 11th – or 7th and 11th Street uh, somewhere. So maybe that's why, but – I I don't know.
1: We have a winner. It is not Isaiah. James Gonzalez. Because they were open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night before they became a 24-hour store.
0: Callan, I'm just kind of glad that uh, you weren't going to hear what I had to – or my second guess was, and that was – I thought it was <laughs> – I thought it was opened by a 7th and 11th grader.
1: Uh, no, it was uh, – the reason being is because the store hours were 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., and now majority of your 7-Elevens are 24 hours. With that, Isaiah, now over to you for your final thoughts.
0: At long well, last – Yes, it's been a long, long program, man. Imagine Callan, imagine if we had, you know, gone with what I wanted earlier and delayed this program to a ten thirty start. I mean, we would still be probably wrapping up the Phillies thing and about to get onto the Padres thing, and it would have taken us until like one or one thirty. So thank goodness we didn't start here's at ten thirty. But there's Matt, there's you there
1: That's gonna be me very, very shortly.
0: Uh, my uh, you know my uh, my final thoughts but actually before I get into my final thoughts I want to thank Tyler James Gonzalez Casey King uh, who else Christy Wilson Brandon Herrera Big B what's going on Um, I think we had a couple and Edward Lee as well for tuning in to tonight's program and also whomever at the MI6 sports network that was behind the scenes really appreciate you guys for tuning in Um, you know we we're, we're so thankful and so glad that you guys always stay up late, especially at 12.30 a.m. Pacific, uh, probably like 2.30 a.m. Central Time and 3 a.m. If whoever that's living on the East Coast tuning in to our show, we really appreciate Thankfully, you guys. Thankfully,
1: I'm not doing any programming while I'm in Florida because of that reason right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, thank you so much for all of you guys for tuning in. But my final thoughts is, you know, looking forward to a great, a great Suns Bucks rest of the NBA Finals. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my guy Dustin Poirier, who I have on my goat shirt. Big B, I know you commented or someone commented saying they wanted to get this shirt. Uh, maybe Callen, we could discuss partnering up with Dustin Poirier and his team and we can, uh, you know, put out some Dustin Poirier goat shirts uh, for the fans out there and like split the profits with them, but who knows, but uh, it's another great, great you know, mar- marketing idea. But uh, we'll, we'll discuss that shortly. But um, yeah, I want to give a shout out to him for winning me some money and making me a rich man. And also looking forward to this upcoming week of programming because we've got some great guests upcoming, some great potential guests that we aren't ready to announce yet that we have on the docket. And uh, it's going to be a great great week of wild sports talk and also looking forward to my guy matt olson who's going to win the home run derby tomorrow night or tonight actually
1: yeah technically tonight on this monday but again folks a major thank you i know we kind of have gone long here on the night shift but again we've been away again i've been uh, kind of getting back into the flow of things for work and again with the uh, vacay vacay coming up in about roughly two to three weeks here uh very very shortly Again, thank you all so much for joining for joining us here now again, folks. We have a great week of coverage coming up here uh for you folks coming up starting later today on this Monday with WST with myself Isaiah and our go-to guy Sammy Sharp, the Sports Lounge just back on Tuesday. Uh later on in the evening though, once the All-Star game is actually over for baseball, we'll again be talking all the uh big things in sports on Tuesday. Of course, Wednesday Ryan and Sam back on here with fan response. Uh Thursday up in the air right now because I believe on Friday right now, Isaiah, uh, at least in that time frame I believe we do in fact have um That guest that we are uh, keeping anonymous right now coming very shortly. And also, by the way, Trevor, by the way, though, Trevor, I forgot to mention that Trevor is in fact back, though, too, on Tuesday afternoon with six for six as well at 345 Pacific time.
0: Well, Calen, I don't think we need to keep uh, this guest upcoming. We have anonymous uh, because we kind of announced him on like a previous show, I think last week. So, uh, Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com, who is the Cavs beat writer. He has uh, sources inside the Cavs building. He will be coming on with us and we will be talking about his career working in sports media um as well as talking about is colin sexton going to be getting traded there's been reports that he is very available so we'll discuss that with him as well as uh, what the Cavs might do with the number three pick who knows maybe chris will spill it live on the air and we'll have a breaking news about who the Cavs are leaning towards uh, taking with the number three pick and more regarding the Cleveland Cavaliers. I believe that show is Friday. I think it is on Friday. We, we are trying to get a confirmation from Chris right now. So once we get that, we will share that to you uh, or share that with you guys.
1: And Isaiah, the one event though, there are two events, one event, two events. I'm excited to also announce here. Um, we are bringing it back folks by popular or unpopular demand. <laughs> Isaiah, the network NBA draft show is making its triumphant return July 29th, much like we did last year again, doing the whole first round. So Isaiah, I hope you're ready for more utter
0: lunacy like we had last year, my man. Hey man, the N- the NFL draft that we had in April or May, that was already like a lunacy program. I mean, it was crazy. But yeah, that NBA draft, don't worry, Callan. I won't storm off the set because there's not really a player that I really want uh, the Golden State Warriors to draft right now. um, And I made a bet with my coworkers. So uh, I don't think I will be storming off the set on that program. But it's going to be, you know, a great program and it's going to be a laborious day for us. Man, I'm already like butchering words.
1: But Isaiah, one more thing, though, about July 29th, my man. That is coming up. After that show concludes, and then folks, we've been teasing. They're not really teasing, but we've been talking about this, and I'm I'm stoked that we're going to be able to do this, though. But, folks, later on, after the draft show concludes on July 29th, folks, we will be celebrating, believe it or not, celebrating one full year of wild sports talk being on the MI6 Sports Network after... Uh, Isaiah, my uh Isaiah, me, and John Mavis began this podcast back in, you know, in, in July. But again, we were on a we were on a different platform. And certainly, Isaiah, I, I don't I don't want to go too much deeper here. Again, it's getting close to to bedtime, sadly, here at at nearly 1240 in the morning. But we'll have more about this though, later on Monday, though, Isaiah. But certainly though, man, hard to imagine though that this thing's been going on for a year, or will be a year come July twenty ninth, my man. And certainly I, I I would not have thought though that we'd be Getting to this point though and closing in though on some on a couple of on a couple of the things that I'll be also announcing as well here very shortly. But uh, I guess Isaiah very quick though, but like clip notes version though of your thoughts. We'll have more about this though on Monday later on.
0: Yeah, you know, I completely agree with you. Who knew that back when John Mathis I mean, shout out to him. I know he's not with the MI6 Sports Network anymore, but uh, he had a big, big hand in, you know, putting this together um, without him. You know, I would not have met Callan. Callan would not have met me, you know, and also uh, we would not have what we have right now at the MI6 Sports Network. So John's kind of really, a, he's played a big part of the MI6 Sports Network being what it is, but, you know, who, who would have thought that a year later we would still be doing this podcast? And honestly, who would have thought that, Four months ago, when and you were on hiatus, um, John Alcorn was able to be part of the program. Uh, Mathis had departed from MI6 and also departed from Wild Sports Talk that we still be doing that pro- this program to this day, because I really thought that when Mathis departed, when you were on hiatus, that, you know, the boat was, was sunk. It was sunk. I did, I thought that Wild Sports Talks days was gone. Goodbye. But, you know, shout out to Sammy. You know, when I asked him to do it, it was a great first program. Um, and, you know, and I, I did not know if he was going to be able to commit to the schedule that we've had because, you know, we're doing programs every or two days a week. And that's, you know, a big commitment for a lot of people. And, you know, shout out to him. He's made the commitment and it's been a really good uh Good show, and we haven't really missed a beat ever since. You know, a but a lot of people have departed,
1: and certainly, folks, we we wish John, and we have wished all the best uh, ever since. You know, and and I've told and I've told him plenty of times. Though, and I've told John Alcormas though too, as in my time being in the in the industry, is you have to do what's best for you, and 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 things like that. So, you know, we we certainly you know still talk to John, still love him to death, believe me. Uh, you know, and things like that, and again, you know, we're wishing everyone. Uh, All the best and stuff like that. But also, Isaiah, I mean, two more things real quick, though, of course, though, man, Um, you know, much like, you know, WST success, though. I mean, who would have thought, though, man, that, you know, when this whole thing began in March of last year, though, that you'd be sitting 2,500 views away from 100,000 total and just over, you know, 400 plus away from 5,000 via Anchor.
0: I don't have any words, man. I'm like, I'm a guy that's like really that loves to, you know, talk and loves to, you know, share my opinions. But I honestly don't have any words. I mean, this might be the first time ever that I'm speechless. You know, that's how remarkable of an achievement this is. And, you know, probably when, when we go, when we get to that feat, when we get to that milestone, Cal, and I might, I might cry on the air that day. I'm, I really would. I might, I might honestly do that. I mean,
1: and honestly, you know, for how trying 2020 was for for everybody, you know, and obviously with uh, Isaiah and myself working in the uh, in the industry, whether it's in the, you know, the guest services uh, side of it or the media side of things and, you know, not being able to be with fans or see fans or, you know, be with coworkers or, you know, miss out on a whole year. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, it was hard to find highlights and, you know, that's kind of been like, like Isaiah said, though, on the one you're special about, you know, finding those bright spots and finding, you know, stuff to keep you engaged and, uh, stuff like that. But folks, will have more about all this stuff though. Later on Monday, I'm about ready to go grab a, a quick bite and then, uh, probably, uh, hit the snooze button finally after what's been a long day. And I mean, you know, long days in general, again, you know, I've been in the sun basically for, four days out of this week, though, again, getting back into the flow of, uh, of announcing again, doing two days worth of high school baseball showcases. And, uh, and, you know, and also three literally baseball games and going to the Potter again today. And, uh, and, and, stuff of that caliber, but certainly though, uh, we thank you all again, folks for joining us and, uh, Tyler, my prediction for the, uh, home run derby Otani versus the field. Let's go.
0: Give me the field. Give me the field. Even though I love show Otani and I met his parents, but give me the field. Uh, Although I guarantee you, Otani's parents probably aren't a fan of me after this prediction right now that I just made.
1: I think Trevor's story was the longest of long shots. I think uh, him and I think him and Olson, I think, were tied. I think at the lowest odds to win the Derby. So, from what I saw, though, I know that, oh, that I know that Otani was like tops to to win the thing. But I mean, you know, we'll see. And, and certainly, Isaiah, you know, that could have been one more thing we could have talked about tonight, though. But certainly, uh, I, we'll do, save I it will see tomorrow. Uh, I I will say, though, real quick, I'm a fan, though, that they have now made a rule, though, after what happened in KC, I think, in 2013 or 2012, I think. um, No, he wasn't robbed. Um, That um, I've been glad since the whole snafu in 12, I think, in KC, with Robinson Cano not selecting Billy Butler of the Royals, they made a rule now that the home or host city has to be represented in the Home Run Derby.
0: I love that rule. You know, it gives the home fans um, it gives the home fans something to cheer about when they're watching the home run derby.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm right now. I'm going with Otani. Uh, I would like to see Trevor Story put up some type of like good farewell performance when, he, in fact, it's dealt from Colorado pretty soon. Um, but certainly, I'm I'm stoked. I mean, just to see you know how far uh, the ball is going to go. And also, by the way, I do have to as well, uh, real quick again uh also say uh, also applaud baseball for letting Trey Mancini again a guy who you know went through hell basically again fighting uh, fighting off cancer and he got an invite to the home run derby too so props to Major League Baseball but with that folks we'll save all this for Monday we'll have a full recap of the entire derby I know that Isaiah wanted to boycott the uh, entire all-star week because of 1A being there and the Padres sending their most number of guys since OG oh, Wiz 1998 sending you know again sending Five players, much like they did in 98. So, again, it's all about 98 for the Padres. As it has been for a long time. But with that, folks, for Isaiah Young and the entire cast and crew here of the MI6 Sports Network, yours truly, Cal McClurg, bidding you a very well good night and or good morning, wherever you folks may be still tuning in from or listening from here at 1244 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time on a Monday, July 12, 2021. One last comment before we, in fact, sign up for the night. Casey King saying, good show. Well, we'll do this all over again, folks, on Monday, uh, either during the Derby or perhaps afterwards. We'll figure it out, though, later on, later time and date, folks. But again, we'll see you back here in roughly 12 hours. No, not 12 hours. Less than 24 hours. I know that for a fact. Uh, that, folks? Yeah, we're too tired.
0: We're too tired yeah. to do
1: the math at this point. Uh, that's Isaiah. This is Cowan. Uh, good night and bye-bye.